Christmas is over. Put Rudolph out to pasture. Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We're getting down to the absolute business end and we got some presents under the tree. Unfortunately, some of us got uh, coal. So hey, we got Connor here, we've got Sean. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. We are all in different places. How are we getting on, lads? Uh, how is Cavan, Ronan? I think actually we're all in different places every week at the moment, but uh, regardless of the holidays. But yeah, uh, so we're in different places from our normal different places. Yes. Uh, very uh, exciting. Uh, yeah, Cavan, pretty quiet. Got uh, some nice gifts, uh, water bottles, some clothes, some stuff like that. So yeah, some good stuff. And uh, yeah, just enjoying the the sweets and and the bits and uh, some time with the uh, young nephew Rian as well. Oh, very nice. And how about yourself, Sean? You're up uh, in Donegal now. We've done swip swaps, kind of. Yeah, up in Donegal, visiting the in-laws. It's in, yeah, it's grand. Yeah, we've been. Uh... The Molly the dog is not quite settled in yet, but uh, <laughs> apart from that, all all is good. We uh, yeah, a lot of there's a lot more people around than in my Christmas at home. We tends to just be yeah immediate family, but here it's a lot more there's a lot more people. Uh, but it's it's good. Yeah, we went to the beach yesterday and uh, watched. We've been watching a few movies. Watched Little Women uh, last night, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, pretty good over here for another. Here until New Year's and then then down to Athlone for a week. So it's oh, uh, very yeah, nice doing the rounds. Yeah, we did the first couple of days up in Donegal, did Christmas there, and that was nice. And then uh, drove down to Kerry yesterday. Uh, so I drove into the orange weather warning that is going on here at the moment. So it's a uh, pretty horrible weather, but uh, yeah, it's similar down 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 here because. Uh, couple of, my wife has a larger family but also a couple of them live in and around Kerry so geez, it was absolutely rammers I think dinner yesterday including the kids was for 16 people uh, it's just manic and fortunately our, our, our dog likes them all but he, he'd prefer if he didn't have all 16 of them at once I think <laughs> so he's kind of getting followed around by four or five nephews and nieces who are all just amazed at the dog and kind of he he likes to stay a good five feet away from them at all times so he got his steps in and they got their steps in so it's pretty good uh, and we're going to have another addition in here so uh, uh, my sister-in-law is pregnant and the baby is due in two days time so we're going to see the new Ooh. addition before we uh, head back to Dublin so that'll be wow. good crack that is dramatic yeah, yeah. so we uh, we might as well swing in and get into some of the news uh, we'll start with injuries uh, Minnesota tight end TJ Hawkinson has essentially lost his leg. Uh, his ACL and MCL are both done. He's gone for the season, and this is the type of injury that could extend into next year, into 2024. Uh, obviously, a big knock to him. They extended him on at the start of the season this year, uh, so that's a bit of a problem for them. They've also got linebacker uh, Wunum is injured his quad. He's likely gone for the season, and Jordan Addison has hurt his ankle and is week to week. And Cleveland's quarterback, Doriel Thompson-Robinson, has hurt his hip, and he's out for the season. They're going to promote P.J. Walker to the active roster, but obviously that is the Joe Flacco show for the moment. Um, so those are kind of the two big ones. Uh, it's a big knock to Minnesota's hopes to kind of get into the wild card, isn't it? It's like Hawkinson is a huge part of their offense. Jordan Addison, if he misses time, has also proven himself to be very valuable. Um, Jefferson's been fine since he came back, but hasn't quite popped off in the way he was beforehand. But uh, like this is kind of a floundering team at this point, and these kind of injuries could probably be the nail in the coffin. 
Yeah, they're, they're right on the cusp of the playoffs uh, and fighting for their lives. And obviously they've had all the, the various quarterback problems on top of that. And Nick Mullins, I think, comprehensively demonstrated this week that he's not the answer. And when you have something like that, a, a quarterback is not quite at the level. You kind of need all your experienced pieces to be performing at the level you need them to do and to lose options, Hawkinson in particular, but to lose Addison as well would be make it very difficult down the stretch uh, to get a lot of offense going. And given their defense is occasionally up and down as well, it, it, it's, it looks like it's this could be the harbinger at the end of the season for the Vikings because it's difficult to see how they're going to get out of a hole this big given I think they probably need to win their last two games to make the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough, tough break for them for sure. Yeah. Uh, on the Cleveland side, look, at least it's not Joe Flacco. Thompson, uh, Thompson Robinson has done a couple of stints in a quarterback. He's been mixed is probably the nicest thing we can say about it, uh, although I think they would prefer him as the backup rather than PJ Walker. Uh, a couple of other injuries around the league. Jacksonville quarterback Trevor Lawrence hurt his shoulder and now he's week to week. But don't worry, they've signed Matt Barkley, so everything's fine. Uh, San Francisco quarterback Brock Purdy got a stinger in the game uh, that we'll be talking about in a bit uh, he's day to day there's optimism he'll be able to play next week but I think the bigger concern is Trent Williams hurt his groin and we've seen the difference in that team with Trent Williams in and out of the lineup so they're going to hope to get him back as soon as possible Kansas City's running backs are in trouble uh, Jarek McKinnon has hurt his groin he's out on IR for at least four games and Pacheco towards the tail end of the game there got a concussion uh, when his helmet came off and got kicked in the head so he's week to week Houston defensive lineman uh, Jonathan and Greenard has hurt his ankle. He's week to week. And Jimmy Ward, the defensive back, hurt his quad and is week to week. Miami wide receiver Jalen Model hurt his ankle. Uh, it's now one to four weeks. I imagine that will massively impact his celebrations. Denver wide receiver Corton Sutton has a concussion and is week to week. And Jordan Brooks, linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks, has hurt his ankle and he's week to week. Uh, there's a lot of these that are going to be problems. There's obviously, we won't do a full kind of playoff permutations because we'll talk about them during the game uh, previews and so on but a lot of these teams are fighting for spots and it doesn't look great like Jacksonville have been on a downslope the last couple of weeks and a lot of that was being pointed out as being Trevor Lawrence has had a couple of knocks hasn't been 100% and this is another injury on top of what was an ankle and a concussion in the last three weeks so they are very battered Matt Barkley's no answer yeah, look, they've been playing through the pain with Trevor Lawrence. Like, he's played through a concussion on, on a one-week turnaround, which is fairly rare these days. As you said, he has the ankle sprain that he's been playing through. Now he's got a shoulder sprain in his throwing arm, and you kind of go, at some point, maybe God is trying to tell you to, to maybe just pack it in. Jacksonville, they're still joint atop the AFC South. They're still joint uh, with the other contenders for the number six, number seven seed. Uh, so they're well into the playoff hunt, but... They've been in free fall for the last two or three weeks at this point. And if they're losing uh, Trevor Lawrence and they're playing CJ Bethard, um, that's hardly going to help their uh, opportunities on that end. Uh, but I think given you know how much they're in the thick of it, if Trevor Lawrence can play, they will probably continue to play him. But uh, I think you've seen as the injuries have piled up, the mechanics have really fallen off and you've seen a lot more interceptions showing up. So... I don't know. It's a tough situation for them to be in, given the drop-off in, in QB quality, but maybe this is a sign that they need to move on. Um, Brock Purdy obviously didn't have his finest hour, and uh, no. was kind of he was cleared to come back into the game, um, so he probably will play next week, albeit in a game which won't really matter. Uh, and Trent Williams, to say, is probably more of a risk there, because if he's out, then we've seen that if you can get pressure on Purdy, things can go wrong from uh, in those rare occasions where it happens. As for the older injuries, uh, the more minor injuries, I think yeah, Kansas City, obviously, given the current situation with the passing game, getting more support from the running game would be 
helpful. So potentially yeah. missing, definitely missing McKinnon and potentially missing Pacheco next week, relying on Ceh. Who, to be fair, has I think stepped up reasonably. But he's, 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 been, he's been better in the passing game, but he still leaves a bit to be desired in the run game. To be honest, yeah, it's not someone. He's not an all all down running back by any stretch. Um, so you definitely hope to have Pacheco back. Maybe get him to. Teach him how to strap in the helmet properly uh, going <laughs> forward. Uh, Grenard, underrated player, like a lot of people consider him maybe to be Pro Bowl level. Um, and Houston, obviously, one, one of those teams right in the, in the, th- yeah. in the thick of the playoff hunt. And battling so many other injuries as well at the moment. Yeah, that hopefully gets dried back this week. We'll talk about it in the previews. Waddle, obviously a big miss for Miami, who have a huge game this week uh, in terms of the number one seed. And, and Hill is still struggling with some of that ankle stuff that he's been struggling all year. So losing exactly. kind of jail model is a huge impact on that offense. Uh, Sutton, Denver, probably on the outside looking in at this point, but he has been their best weapon, so maybe even more drop-off for that team if he misses due to concussion. And then Jordan Brooks, uh, Seattle's linebacker depth is basically non-existent outside of him and Bobby Wagner, so um, expect that their fairly questionable run defense will somehow get even worse going forward. Yeah, uh, it's not fantastic. Um, but I suppose on that lovely note, we'll move over and have a look at the games from last week. <laughs> So first up, we'll take a, a big fight. Dallas at Miami, 20-22. to 22. Miami kind of gritted out this, I suppose, I don't say must win. It was a must win to stay, keep themselves live in the in the, in the the AFC uh, top seed bye week hunt, uh, which they are now still falling back on because of Baltimore's performance. But for Dallas, this is kind of a continued bit of a free fall, which isn't great. Uh, Sanders was kind of, the MVP for them. He hit five out of five in the field goals, three from 50 plus. Uh, he hits a walk off as well uh, to, to, to close out the game for them too. I had just shy of 300 yards and a touchdown. Hill kind of coming up well for them, particularly at the tail end. So he came up just short of the century mark. Um, but yeah, it was kind of uh, the Dallas defense, while not ferocious, did somewhat uh, tamper down the, the Miami game so that's something for them to 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 be positive about even though there's not a lot uh, in this one to be super happy with Dak had 253 yards and two touchdowns and they looked okay early on in it um cd lamb was you know doing cd lamb things he had 118 yards and a touchdown but yeah miami were just able to get pressure on them their line has really been playing a bit better of late as well and Obviously, the return of Ramsey to that backfield helps massively. But they got uh, four sacks, and they were able to cause a lot of problems on uh, in the red zone for them. So I think they went one and four with a fumble in the red zone as well. Like Dallas were coming in here off a loss, still trying to show that they are a force to be reckoned with, and this is not really the performance they wanted to put up. Uh, again, like I, when I, I picked Miami to win this game, and I, I said it was just to do with this kind of this massive home away. Uh, kind of splits that they have in their performances and it this this result means almost certainly that Dallas are on the road for a large chunk of the off season, possibly all the off season at this stage. Um and that's not good given what we said, I think it's like an eighteen point differential in their scoring between home and away. They had a moment to kind of, you know, show themselves to be real contenders here and they just kind of wilted a little bit. Like like I said, early on they were getting some bits going but there was no adaptation in their offense. They weren't moving around. They're still not getting enough out of the run game either, I don't think, um, for them to be properly contenders. And you would have liked to have seen their defense step up a little bit more. Now, that said, if you go in against a high-powered offense like Miami and you can you know, force them to just go for five field goals and one touchdown, like that's, that's a decent enough performance that you'd hope your offense should be able to carry you. And if we went back three or four weeks, we would have seen this Dallas team 
performing in the kind of way that it could carry them. But those were matches at home, and for some reason, they just don't have it on the road. Yeah, the the Dallas thing is it's it is a it is a very bizarre thing because as, as I've said before, their home field advantage isn't really as strong in the NFL as it is elsewhere. Uh, in terms of the stats, but for some reason the Cowboys it makes a difference now. You can talk about maybe the the field being different or the dome or, or whatever. But whatever it is that it it it's becoming a big issue and particular becoming big big issue as you said because, uh, of the fact that they're likely to have at least at least one if not three road games if they want to make the Super Bowl, uh, this year. Given they're probably not going to win their division now, um, it the the Dallas thing is it's strange they they every time they seem to be improving and things are they're fixing the problems new ones crop up or they the solutions don't quite work as well as they they did the big thing that's been recently kind of the, the hype train around dallas uh, has been the jack prescott evolution how he's become a guy who can now move in the pocket and and make plays on the uh, make throws on the run and you know innovate and do things he had didn't do before and uh, he was really pressured in this game a lot to to, to try and be disrupted. Uh, the 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 Dolphins defense did a good job, of kind of uh, you know overcoming the the Cowboys O line, which I think is maybe starting to look like a little bit of a weakness, particularly with all the injuries that they're starting to pile up there. Uh, it's starting to feel like that that could be a, 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 an Achilles heel that gets them down the stretch. But Prescott kind of had to move a lot in this game. Obviously, he was sacked four times. He did better than he did against the Bills last like, like last week. The Bills was just an absolute mess. But this week he did a little bit better, but still not good enough. And certainly, it seems as though the improvements aren't quite uh, as uh, amazing on the offensive side as as uh, commentators might like to. Uh, Claim and particularly the the run game, as you said, they just couldn't get going uh, whatsoever, and they got they got beaten pretty comprehensively by a Dolphins defense that isn't any great shakes itself. The bigger problem is perhaps the defense here, in particular the defense when it when it matters. Now they obviously were facing a high powered offense and they did a fairly good job, but the run defense, uh, when it mattered down the stretch, just completely went missing here and was completely unable to stop Miami on some big plays. So the Cowboys, it's. Every time I'm tempted to think it's their year, the, suddenly they give me a reason to not think that. And um, I'm sure next week they'll bounce back and give us more reasons to think that maybe they're going to be good. But there's definitely the deficiencies in this team are not being solved as the season goes on. Um, or they are being solved, but then they're, the solutions aren't being aren't shown to be uh, sustainable. So a, a lot of work to be done uh, for sure for them. The Dolphins, I think, though this is this was a really important win for the Dolphins, not just in terms of the divisional battle and the the, the you know the small chance that they'll get the number one seed, is that there were two things we've been saying about the Dolphins all season. One is that they're they're flat track bullies; they can't beat good teams, and the second one is they can't win ugly games. They're not it when you have to grind out a win. This is not a Dolphins team that is designed to grind them out. And they did both of these things here. If we take the the claim that the Cowboys are are a good team, they beat a good team. Uh, and they won this game by just kind of grinding it out using the, the field goals and, and what have you. And the defense in particular kind of stepped up when needed. And it certainly feels like the defense, which was a huge weakness uh, early in the season for the Dolphins, uh, is improving remarkably on that uh, stand. I, I, I do want to give a, a shout out to Tua. I mean, I have been quite critical at times about Tua because I don't think he he's as impressive as the hype makes him out to be but in he was definitely as a game manager he's really slotted into his niche in a very good way he knows how to manage his offense to success and you could really see that on the final drive when he was just he was doing everything that needed to be done to get the ball down the field into the place that it needed to be for for, for the victory uh, and that is when he 
He's not trying to do really stupid, impressive shit when he just allows the offense to win. Like trying to do an almost a, a you know, a game manager Brock Purdy type thing too. Is I think at his best. Uh, and the kicker, got to give credit to the kicker. I mean, I don't know what it is that we're suddenly is this kind of golden age of kickers, or there's something particularly weird about this year. But kickers are getting really, really good at long field goals, uh, and it's um, starting to look like 50 yard field goals are, are just automatic for an awful lot of kickers. Uh, and the Dolphins guy got three of them, I think, in this game. Uh, so credit there to Ju. So yeah, big win for the Dolphins, and it certainly looks like they're the, they're a team that is evolving into solving their problems going down the stretch. But with the Cowboys, it it it's a bit messier than it would suggest. At their best, they look really good, but too many teams have found them out uh, for them to be, I think, considered to be real contenders. I think it's a game where both teams will take some good lessons from this. I think it's a game which reflects, as I've talked about many weeks now, 2023 NFL football, where you know, you got to take what you're given. You can't just expect to get those big explosives. You know, 70, 20 feels a long time ago for uh, the Dolphins, the kind of mid-season rage that Dallas were taking up where Dak was the favorite MVP feels. It's a much shorter time ago, but it also feels like a while ago. And you saw two teams here, which obviously had a point to prove. Um, Dallas obviously coming off a pretty brutal loss uh, to Buffalo. Uh, trying to prove they can actually win a game at home. Miami trying to actually win a game against a, a team with a winning record. And obviously they have important games uh, on the next week as well. So uh, some important things to take from that. And I think it's a game where, you know, there was some early uh, humbling going on here. Like the first drive from Dallas, they were moving the ball really well. They moved it all the way down to the Miami goal line with us. like after a seven minutes, 43 minutes drive. That's pretty successful. I think you were seeing, you know, some of that kind of more you know, grind it down, use Tony Pollard a lot, some short passes and stuff like that. And they get down to the one-yard line and they fail to convert um, when uh, they fumble the ball away. And you kind of go, oh, well, that's a shame. And now they do respond with a touchdown uh, much quicker on their second drive. But I think what I got from that is that, you know, a sense that neither of these teams were going to go out and kind of risk it all. And I think in the first uh, half, um, Miami had their own, like, I think five-minute-plus drive. And then they ended up... Uh, going uh, not fa failing to convert on the fourth down and turning it over on downs and i think what you saw in the second half then was a lot more okay just take what's given to you i think they exchanged like two field goals each in a row um kind of into the end of the third quarter start of the fourth quarter and then the end of the game was just you know grinding it down but i think you did see towards the very end that both teams when they need to can move the ball but there was just a kind of a mid I want to say a mid-game swoon for both offenses, where they both weren't like they were both more afraid of giving the other team an easy opportunity than they were about kind of racking up the scores again. Um, and I think Dallas once went into desperation mode when it went down by nine. That's when you maybe saw Dallas kind of kicking in, kicking into gear a little bit more than they had up to that point. But I think you know you see on the final two drives, obviously Dallas's touchdown drive. You finally see C.D. Lamb being used again. He wasn't really used outside of the first quarter, um, and then they kind of move all that ball down the field. Really great touchdown to Brandon Cooks for Dak Prescott, and you kind of go, oh, that's good. And uh, but you know there's like three minutes or so left on the clock, and Miami were able to move the ball down for a comfortable field goal in the end. And you know the, the Dallas defense, which is supposedly the strength of this team. You know, unable to make the impact that they expect to make um, on that final drive again. Um, I think you know there's certain parts, certain players who are continuing to step up, like Micah Parsons continues to be an absolute menace, and I think that um, roughing the passer call he got against them was complete bullshit. So I don't blame him for being particularly pissed off about that. Um, but the overall defense, particularly the secondary, you know, 
good at making explosive plays. Obviously, you have all those pick sixes and stuff like that. But in terms of shutting a game down at the, at the depth, not so much. And on the other hand, like I think obviously they gave up that touchdown drive at the end. But Big Fangio's defense, which was a liability earlier in the season, um, continues to I think grow week on week and has become I think one of the major factors why I'm a little bit more actually willing to give Miami a serious uh, go as a contender uh, down the stretch. Um, I think that defense. You know, if that defense can turn into like a top, like say, 12, 10 unit combined with an offense, which always has the possibility of having explosive plays as long as Tyreek Hill and hopefully Jalen Waddle are available. I think that's a good combination. I don't know if it's, it's consistent enough to get the whole thing done, but given the flailing around being done by everyone except for basically Baltimore in the AFC, I think they have a much better chance than I would have. And I think the fact that they're doing that, despite the fact, you know, they lost Jalen Phillips a few weeks ago and they're relying guys like Andrew Van Ginkel, um, it's a testament to the work that's been done there. So I think... Overall, uh, it's a, you know this is a close win between two teams who had a point to prove, who have you know faltered uh, when it, when expectations have been highest. So I think Miami at home to get it done, to grind it out, to stay you know to prevent. I think if they'd lost this, then I think if Buffalo had won out uh, this week, which they did, and next week it would have been guaranteed. Last week would have been an AFC East contender. So their destiny is still in their own hands by getting this win. And uh, yeah, I think not just for the AFC East, but also number one seed given the game they have this week. So a really big win for Miami proves a point here. And uh, hopefully they, they, they believe that they can do this. And if they can get the AFC to go through their hometown the entire way, then yeah, I still think they're, they're, they're a force worth reckoning with. Yeah. Next up, Detroit at Minnesota, 30 to 24. Uh, big celebrations for Detroit. Uh, they secured the first division title in 30 years. Uh, Goff has a relatively clean game, which is nice to see because he hasn't had that in a while. He had 257 yards and a touchdown. And they just kind of leaned on the running game with Montgomery and Gibbs went over uh, 100 yards and had two touchdowns and a fumble. Amon Ra had over 100 yards and a touchdown. It was, uh, it was pretty good. They were able to work their way through the defense that... You know, like we said, I think in the preview, it, it's an interesting defense. It's different from what other people do, but it is exploitable. And one of the exploits is to kind of get your own game going. And they were able to do that in this game. Um, Mullins on the other side for Minnesota had an explosive game. Uh, he went over 400 yards. He had two touchdowns, but he made a lot of mistakes, a lot of missed throws, a lot of misreads. He had four interceptions in this game, which was really the big difference, including a final drive interception, which kind of just ended the game. Uh, Jefferson had a big game, 141 yards and a touchdown, but they weren't able to really get it done. Um, Obviously, this is great for Detroit celebrations. The the, the, the press conferences afterwards were, were lovely, hearing all the guys being so excited and Dan Campbell being so pumped up about it and everything. I will say... Uh, I'm happy to see it. I'm really happy for the Lions. I don't think this was a fantastic Lions performance. And uh, of all things, it was Minnesota that beat themselves in this. So, like, when we look at this, they, they were they were driving at the end of the game with the opportunity to win with a with a touchdown. They have an interception. You know, that's, you know, we said there's four of them in this game. It's not great. But, like, so the Lions got up and they kind of stayed ahead, um, like, but then they, they weren't able to really get anything done. They were able to run some time off the clock, but like they were getting shut down in the fourth quarter of this game where they'd been finding success early on. They just weren't really getting much done. So like they close out with, they get the touchdown to go up 30 to 21, but then we have a three play punt, seven play punt. And then they give the ball back to the guys with them driving to win the game, give up 58 yards on that, on that, uh, on that drive. But obviously the interception kills it off and that's fine and dandy. But like, this is not a particularly strong Minnesota team. Uh, this is a team that, you know, 
gave you four interceptions and you won the game by less than a score. I'm I'm happy for them. I still need to see and bear in mind like I have Detroit as my uh as my preseason NFC Super Bowl pick. Um I need to see them step it up a little bit more. This is a bit better. Their defense stepped up in a few good spots in this one and they were definitely doing a little bit more in coverage, but this is against, you know, Nick Mullins on a Minnesota team that's, you know, on its fourth quarterback now. <laughs> like, from the Minnesota side, obviously heartbreak because um, they schemed up a good offense. Uh, they had a lot there. It was just mistakes and miscommunications that were causing the problems. Um, defensively, I just feel like they need to swap things up a little bit more. Like, it, it becomes a little bit stayed. Like, the fact that they changed it up a little bit in the fourth quarter and they were getting better stops and, and more disruption. Maybe they need to look at how they vary their game plan a little bit more, possibly. Um, but yeah, like a good win, happy for Detroit. But, you know, they're not they're they're not rolling into the into the playoffs having won their division looking terrifying to the other teams who are division winners at this stage. I think it's one of those interesting things where you definitely felt this was a team that, you know, had the weight of history on its back. You know, so close to finally getting that, you know, NFC North Championship, which they've never won. It was reconfigured the last, like they were in a different type of division last time. They won a division that's 30 years at the long wait. They're going up against an opponent that was always going to make their life difficult. Certainly on the defense, you know, it wasn't perfect from Brian Flores, but you know, it's it's a defense that has to be respected and one which can very much take the ball away from you if you're not careful. And I think that's what you saw from the Lions, particularly in that last stanza, was a careful approach to using. Uh, the football, giving the ball a lot to uh, Jameer Grib Gibbs, relying almost exclusively on Amon Ra, obviously your most sure-handed receiver, and kind of just grinding this thing out. And yes, that gave Minnesota an opportunity to come back into this, uh, basically because Justin Jefferson was doing Justin Jefferson things. But um, I think I'm not I'm not going to blame them too much for that. I think this was a huge moment for them. You could sense the emotion, uh, the outpouring at the end of the game from people like Jared Goff and Dan Campbell and, and other guys now in the subsequent days as well. So I think, you know, it's an unusual circumstance and my hope would be that, you know, you know, obviously they heard, learned some hard lessons in kind of the last month or so about the high-risk, high-reward approach they've taken. But my hope is that now that they've secured the division and are still very much in the number one overall seed uh, uh, hunt, they're, they're joint with both Philly and San Francisco, but they, they will probably lose most uh, tiebreakers. Um, you know, they might kind of revert back to happy-go-lucky, for lack of a better term, and, and really, you know, get more to what we saw earlier in the season where they were an exciting team. But I think the big thing for me is that on both sides of the ball, you're seeing their young playmakers, you know, step up week on week and get better and better. Jameer Gibbs has been a revelation down the back half of the season. And in this game, despite having a fumble early on, which Tom going to the doghouse for, for maybe a quarter or so, you know, in the second half and towards the end of the first half and in the second half, he was the heart of this um, offense. And I think what you're seeing is not just the explosive elements, but I think you're seeing improvements in his fundamentals in terms of finding the gap and getting through it. But you also then see those special gifts. Um, he's obviously a really good pass catcher, but just when, you know, sometimes he just jukes someone out of their socks um, and you kind of go, okay, I get why this guy was drafted so highly um, in the NFL. Uh, learned a lesson there, Arthur Smith on Bijan Robinson. And you kind of go, okay, this guy is special. And obviously you have the perfect compliment in David Montgomery, who now becomes probably the 1B. And then Amon Ra, obviously more one of the more veteran presences doing it. But even early on, I think some of the other receivers stepped up. Um, you saw some uh, clutch throws uh, for Jameson Williams, Raymond, uh, Reynolds and the like. Um, 
And then on the defense, I think, which is even more important, is that you're starting to see some actual playmaking ability. Like last week, I talked about the things they needed to avoid. Don't give the ball away to Minnesota. Uh, give them easy fields. They did that. And then on the other hand, they need to be able to take advantage of the fact that Nick Mullins is a bit of a, a lottery machine. He he throws the ball up and hopes for the best. And I said that like a lot of times this year, their defense has failed to take advantage of those quarterbacks to fail to take the ball away but there in this game they get four interceptions i think the most important thing is that like two of those go to uh their young kind of playmakers underrated playmakers so brian branch they picked in the draft this year he got a pick and uh, malafonwu who's really stepped up recently um got an interception which was key at the end of this game and kirby joseph who's been with them a little longer um got two interceptions as well and they got cj gardner johnson coming back so the hope is that now you've got this kind of uh, i'm not quite sure about their boundary corners but i think certainly in the kind of safety and uh, nickel position they now have almost a, a surplus of playmakers who hopefully can make a big impact down the stretch for this defense and get them going i, I you know i'd still love for them to be able to sack the uh, opposing quarterback a few more they got four sacks here but you know i need to see that a little bit more um going down the stretch but you know signs of life there albeit against the quarterback who you know <laughs> at best can be considered to be a a, a risk taker um and uh, yeah, to be fair, on the Minnesota side, like I wouldn't put it too much in the defense. I think they came against a good, a good offense that wasn't giving them what they wanted. That you know, I think I think you're right. It's been figured out to a certain extent, but I think if, if figuring it out means that the other offense has to play very conservative and has to rely on the fact that they're highly talented guys like Amon Ron, Jameer Gibbs just make plays for you, then that's not the worst outcome at all. And then on the offense, like I don't know, it's Nick Mullins stuff. Like I get Josh Jobs. He uh, himself threw a whole bunch of interceptions, but Nick Mullins, like there's so many just gimme balls where it's basically just begging for him to be picked. He doesn't have the arm talent um, to get away with a lot of the throws that he attempts. And yes, he absolutely fed Justin Jefferson, which I suppose is like, you know, number one priority as a as a Minnesota quarterback ever since he's come back. But, you know, his throws to the other playmakers, like Jordan Addison, I think two of the picks came off trying to throw to him. And, you know, Justin Jefferson, like, he was so pissed off at the end, you could tell, because he had put everything out in the field um, on their final drive. I think there was, like, a fourth and 18, where he basically just went up, got gut-shotted by two guys from behind and managed to ring the ball down. So, you know, it's an interesting situation for Minnesota, because obviously their chances of making the playoffs now at 7-8 and eight are pretty slim, uh, though not completely gone, given the NFC wildcard hunt. But I think the problem, wider problem for them now is, like, you know, they've kind of seen what the non-Kirk Cousins world looks like. Um, they now go into a season where they have to negotiate another contract with him if they want to keep him. And so there's some interesting questions to go like, you know, the defense seems to be sorted. So if you can keep Brian Flores, I think the defense will be improved and you can invest more resources there in free agency and the draft. But on the offense, there is an argument to just roll it back with Kirk Cousins because that was working for the first half of the season. And you can see that even when you put in, 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 other, in backups, the offense is still highly productive. It's just these guys just turn the ball over way too much, which, you know, Kirk Cousins is not necessarily has had games like that but in recent years has mostly put that away from his game so i think for minnesota it's going to be a, a big season of what ifs um you know if they don't make the playoffs given all the injuries and all the things that have gone against them this year compared to last year um but i think you know given where they are it's a tough situation like there's definitely an argument to kind of run it back with kirk cousins but uh he's he's not known for being a, a soft negotiator so some interesting times for the vikings even if they don't make the playoffs yeah, I think Ronan has covered covered much of what needs to be said. The Vikings, in particular, I mean, they they're just lost. I think Kirk Cousins is kind of his very absence makes the point of how valuable it is. Mullins was sloppy. They are, I think, going to end up if they do want to make the playoffs, going to have to lean an awful lot on Justin Jefferson and really test how much that that injury recovery has been uh, made. But I, I, 
even if the Vikings scrape into playoffs, I can't see them making much of an impact, to be honest. In terms of the Lions, it, it was it's nice to see them step up key moments and get things done. I think they, they, they okay, albeit not playing one of the better teams, one of the best teams in the league, but they I think they answered a few questions that were being asked them in a game like this. Obviously, we've, we've seen in recent weeks the, the, you know, the bad losses and the, the defensive weaknesses, and we've started to question whether or not this team was capable of being at the top table. And uh, I, I think they... They showed that they certainly have a, a right to be considered uh, up there, if, albeit maybe not quite at the San Francisco, uh, uh, Philly, Dallas level, but certainly uh, the next step below that, they're, they're the best of the rest. Uh, the defense in particular, I thought I was impressed here. There was a kind of a, a general bullying of Mullins, which which I enjoyed. Aiden Hutchinson, it was very weird. He didn't have a sack or a tackle, and yet you watch him, the eye test said he had, he had a great game. Uh, he had a lot of pressures on, on the QB and, and, and QB hits, so... It looked good in that sense. The run defense is coming together. Uh, so it certainly feels like they've solved a couple of problems in the defense. I, I really, I worry a little bit about their secondary, uh, particularly as one said, the, the outside cornerbacks do not look like they're quite good enough. And that, that also puts pressure on the, on the kind of the inner, the inner secondary, the, the, the safety and such like uh, to, to step up. So that could be a point in the playoffs where they kind of get exploited against. Um, because it certainly feels like it's not quite at the level it needs to be for a team uh, that is trying to compete among uh, the elite. And on the offensive side, it's, I mean, when it clicks, it's lovely to watch. The run offense, I think, is one of the strongest in the league. They've really figured out how this one-two combo works. I mean, it was more Gibbs than Montgomery this week, but still, they definitely, one guy sets up the thing for the other guy and, 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 and allows them to, to, to you know, the defense adjusts to one type of run game, and then they bring in the other guy to completely do something uh, different. And the other thing uh, to, to note, I mean, here was they, you know, they, it seemed like every single important third down or fourth down play that the Lions came up with this game, that they, they got it. I mean, it was clutchness is a, a thing that statistically does not exist. But when you watch a game like this, you go, you know, you got to you got to perform when it matters. Uh, and they did that for sure. So I, I'm happier with the Lions uh, now than I have been for a while. Um I, I don't necessarily think they're going to, you know, win the Super Bowl this year. But, I mean, given where they were, it's an incredible step forward. And first division title in 30 years, Dan Campbell des deserves a lot of kudos for that. Um, and it definitely seems like they're building a team that maybe in two or three years could we could be talking about as a Super Bowl team. But for now, they're, you know, let them enjoy a home, a home playoff game, maybe a, a couple of playoff games um, and see where it goes. Uh, because, yeah, we all love the Lions and we'd love to see how far it can go. Yeah. Next up, Baltimore at San Francisco, uh, 33 to 19. A bit of a surprisingly one-sided game here, but the Baltimore defense came to play. They said, well, if we want to test San Francisco, we'll test San Francisco. And they really got it going. Five interceptions, a turnover on downs, four sacks, five tackles for a loss. They absolutely just tore into them. Uh, Purdy didn't really know what he was doing. He looked more like his his his, uh, his draft stock than his playing uh, track record was in this one. So he had 255 yards and four interceptions. As we mentioned, he got a stinger laid on, so he kind of dropped out of the game at that point. But yeah, so they got, he, he obviously was getting the explosive plays in, but just turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Uh, it was interesting. It seemed to mostly be a, a scheme fit that Baltimore had of just having... We we discussed in the games where San Francisco have had their most success. It's been against weak 
uh, linebacker cores or ones that can't kind of move laterally side to side to cover and that's Baltimore just seemed to have the the, the the type of defensive personnel to just cause them issues now that is a relatively unique thing I don't think there's too many teams out there who have that kind of quality in their linebacker core so I don't expect it to be a massively re- re- replicable uh, situation but yeah no it was it was uh, it was it was pretty pretty um, pretty explosive from the Baltimore defense and uh, so Darnold was in there for a bit as well and actually looked fairly okay in there but as we mentioned in the earlier section I think they're expecting to have Purdy back um, on the other side Lamar did well 252 yards and two touchdowns and he also did uh, 45 yards on the ground rushing as well so he was you know very efficient uh, maybe not like te- like crazy explosive but like was very much kind of, you know, showed why he was worth the money that Baltimore paid him, showed why he fits so well in their system. And that paired with that just absolute clampdown defense was uh, was phenomenal to watch. Uh, the big, I suppose the big obvious hit in this one is that, like, I think coming into this, Brock Purdy was the uh, Vegas favorite for MVP. And now he's dropped down to seventh or eighth in the running um, because obviously he's a big primetime game, gets to have a lot of visibility against, you know, the cream of the AFC and completely shit the bed. Um, from a San Francisco perspective, this is not great. Um, but it's also, like I said, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a massive problem in that. I don't think there's a lot of teams in the NFC that have the personnel to kind of, do this defensively to them uh, unless maybe there's some maybe there's some some scheme movements that people can do that will help them exploit what they see here um but it does cause some concerns for them uh if they are because this is this is a super bowl or bust kind of job for san francisco at this point they've they've been in the playoffs they've come up short beforehand they really just need to get there and putting up a performance like this against baltimore is not great uh putting up a performance like this against Baltimore when you are at home is significantly worse given you'll then be on a neutral field site if you do get to meet them in the Super Bowl and it was like 33 to 19 I don't think it even does justice to how one-sided a lot of this felt like it just felt like San Francisco weren't getting anything moving uh, at all in this one whereas Baltimore looked dominant and I'm kind of surprised when we look back and we got we all went for San Fran in this game but I thought I think we thought like the home field advantage and all that stuff would help uh, we mentioned in the injury section as well the Trent Williams injury is a concern because when they had their bad run of games in earlier on the season some people point to Debo being out and so on. I I would say it's probably to do with Trent Williams being out at the same time. And that's something that they need to definitely get back in the lineup if they want to find any success. But for them, it's going to be a lot of tape study on here to see, okay, what we wanted to do was taken away from us and we weren't really able to adapt and Purdy wasn't able to adapt. Is this something that we can coach into him or something we can put in as a contingent game plan to go, okay, we're going to swap to set C of what we want to do? Or is this something where maybe they need to figure out a completely different change around? Maybe maybe this is a limitation in Purdy's game that he can't do it. But look, so far, he's, he's stepped up to most of the challenges that have been given to him. He's played overall exceptionally well. So I imagine this is just a learning spot where, you know, Jan will head off at this and he'll look at it and he'll say, okay, we need to add the following three or four elements and that will help in these types of scenarios. Because we've said beforehand, 
they are very bad at adapting on the fly in games when things start to go wrong. If what they want is taken away, they don't move in-game fantastically well, but they have shown themselves to be able to move uh, interweek and over longer periods to add new elements into the game plan when stuff stops working. So hopefully that's what they go off and do because very exciting team, but is this, this would make for quite a boring Super Bowl if uh, we get these two teams and it's this level of a mismatch. Yeah, I mean, it's we, we talked last week about how this game would tell us a lot about both of these teams and where they're at, and I think we definitely learned an awful lot, uh, particularly about the deficiencies that this 49ers team still has. Obviously, we at their best, they're, they're just amazing. They're an incredible team to watch when it all clicks, but it does seem like if you can disrupt them offensively, get them off their game plan, force them to do things they don't want to do, and particularly force more of the game on Purdy, uh, it, it doesn't quite work all that well, and then you can kind of get at them a little bit, and then their de- their defensive deficiencies on the other side become more obvious as well once you start to run up a score. Like, it was, it was a very st- strange game in the sense that the Niners started okay, and they, they kind of had this good run pass-run balance. Um, things seemed to be seemed to be working they were getting down the field they were they were just having turnovers at bad times and and it, and it was being costly but the general game plan seemed to be working but then whatever the the ravens did they kind of forced the the 49ers increasingly into less and less optimal offensive play both decisions and executions they went more and more into a pass heavy game which is you know the balance is very important for the niners they need to have all these various options because their offense is based upon keeping the defense completely guessing as to what they're going to do and the more you narrow the game script for them that the harder it is to to get their way out and i think this is maybe why they struggle to fight their way out of deficits and this was another game example where if if the Niners fall behind by even seven or ten points this team is just not designed to chase games right they don't seem to be able to as you say make the adjusts on the adjustments on the flyer or find their way out of out of bad spots and it's in situations like this that you you need a quarterback right it's it's at games like this when a game manager just isn't good enough you need someone who's able to change the game by their very nature is able to to find solutions to the problems on the field and Purdy it's just too early in his career for to to him to be asking him to do these kinds um, of things and I think it really exposed his inexperience and how much he still has to to learn um also as you say the o-line thing it, it looks a bit ominous not williams obviously is a very important part of the how they function but generally they they had a lot of injuries i think they were they were down to bare but by the end of this game i think they were completely down to bare bones they didn't have anyone uh, uh on the sideline who could step in on the offensive line if they got another injury which is it's it's a bad place to be because as we've seen the niners it's when they're healthy they're very dangerous but any kind of injury just seems to disrupt them. Uh, and the more these injuries pile up, the, the, the more difficult it's going to get. So on the offensive side, I definitely agree with you. There are solutions that need to be found. I don't necessarily know if the way this team is set up in terms of the personnel and how it works, if they actually can find the solutions for a defense that's as, as dynamic and aggressive as Baltimore. And given this could be a potential Super Bowl opponent, that's obviously something to worry about if for Shanahan. They've also got to worry about the defense because they defense we've talked about so uh, during the season up and down at certain times in big games, they maybe aren't quite where they need to be here. The, the defense seems to have no answers whatsoever for what Lamar was doing. And that's got to be a concern. 
and the Ravens, uh, it's the Ravens are starting to turn into what the Niners were at the start of the season. You remember the Niners start of the season saying we were going, oh, they're so good on both sides of the ball. They're so well coached. They have everything figured out. They're such a dangerous team to play. It's almost impossible to imagine how a team might beat them. That's kind of where the Ravens are now. The offense is absolutely purring. I think they scored on seven consecutive possessions in this game against what is supposedly, you know, one of the better defenses in the league. <clears throat> but it was a defense that I, I thought was really impressive. The pass rush just completely destroyed Purdy and his options. I loved watching Kyle Hamilton. He's really evolving into the threat we all thought he'd be. We, I remember talking a lot about him around the draft time, being like, this guy could be the next evolution of, of the defense, and if he gets a good... Uh, defensive coach around him he can mold him into something magical and we're starting to see that but it's just clicking right we we've always talked about the Ravens being that once they were healthy and you could trust the John Harb they had the talent plus the coaching in Harbaugh on his team that they could be something really special and now we're finally starting to see that we're finally starting to see that this team is almost unbeatable now it feels like on both sides of the ball and they're doing it right in the amount of time of the season when you want this to be happening you want your team to be peaking around week 16, week 17, week 18, just so they're ready to plow into the playoffs. I, I'm struggling to see how anyone's going to stop them. If they play at this level, it's very difficult to see how anyone's going to stop them winning uh, it all. Um, now, obviously, there are concerns about Lamar in the playoffs, and he hasn't necessarily performed in the playoffs, and that's probably the next the next hill that they have to get over. But right now, there's there's no better team in the NFL, and it, doesn't, it honestly doesn't look like anyone's close. If they're this much better than the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, what chances any other team in the league have against this team in this kind of form? I probably wouldn't be quite as like Baltimore are unbeatable than you are, Sean. And I don't think this game is as disastrous for the 49ers as it perhaps looks on the scoreline. I think what you saw here, though, was how clever the Baltimore Ravens are and how they're really maximizing the value across the entirety of their roster. I think the way that they've constructed their defense is really interesting and really kind of spikes up with the kind of big plays that they had here. So, you know, you have two interceptions for Kyle Hamilton. You have one for Marcus Williams, one for Patrick Queen. There's also one for Marlon Humphrey. That's less uh, consistent with narrative, so I'll ignore the Humphrey one. But, you know, you're talking there about two safeties. You're talking about a linebacker. And what you see with the Ravens over the last three years in terms of how they've built their defense is that they have made a big focus in both free agency and the draft on getting those guys in the middle, the linebackers and the safeties and the nickelbacks, and putting them in there and allowing them to make plays. Because I think they've realized that the teams that have had the greatest success in the NFL on offense over the last few years, thinking about teams like 49ers, thinking about teams like Miami, they eat off the middle of the field, particularly the um, medium intermediate part of the middle of the field. And when you have as many playmakers as the Ravens have, when you have Kyle Hamilton, who's really just become kind of the Swiss army man of that defense, kind of just making plays all the time. I think the interception where he was basically flattening his ass, you know, nine, nine, nine out of 10 players, that's then done with the play. He gets back off his ass when, you know, it's a long developing play and then gets an interception. That's the kind of hustle play that you expect. And the big thing is that this Ravens team, they, this defense in this game went, we don't, we don't really care about the big plays. We're not going to focus on, um, you know, the fact that there's going to be a few big plays given up to George Kittle, a few big plays given up to Brad Nayuk. We have our eyes 100% on Brock Purdy because we know that this guy 
you know, occasionally, especially when things break down, is willing to take a risk. And, you know, we saw in that mid-season swoon that some of those big plays kind of went against them when they were missing guys like Thibault. And I think they had a big idea that in that similar thing with zone, when your eyes are, you know, looking, still looking down the field, that a lot of the, that also takes away a lot of the yards after catch. So you see that, you know, Kittle and Ayuk have big plays, but you don't see a big game uh, for, um, uh, for Debo Samuel because they were bottling him up and now CMC is the one exception like CMC is CMC so and probably if a, if a 49 is going to win the uh, MVP it should be CMC um, but you know there's only so much you can do against that man and to be fair he wasn't as big a factor in the past game he did most of his damage as an actual runner here and I suppose maybe that you know maybe there's a weakness there in terms of having so many DBs on the field but I think the big thing there is that Mike McDonald has kind of taken this defense to the next level and I think the big thing about him is that similar to Lou Ranarumo in Cincinnati he, he isn't someone who's like this is the only way we play but he plays a very diverse system and I think you know we've seen a bit of this from Belichick this year but the next evolution of the NFL defense feels like defenses that are impossible to uh, uh, to diagnose before the snap you know they have so many different looks they have like you know so many different things can happen from the same look at any given time and this kind of mirrors almost the thing with the Shanahan on the offense you know you know you don't know what's going to happen from the same look and that makes it really difficult and of course that's also the issue with the 49ers offense which is when they get into a hole you know and you know they're going to have to pass the thing the secret sauce which is that you don't never know if they're going to run or pass or what's going to come out of the scheme a lot like the kind of the surface area of potential outcomes is reduced and that's when they tend to stutter a bit but the thing is like as i say you know they were producing yards in this game like i think the the 49ers i produced the the, the baltimore and that isn't just in garbage time that was they were producing lots of yards in the first half but Baltimore Ravens were getting those key turnovers in key situations because they were like, we're willing to take the risk reward um, trade-off because we believe that Brock Purdy, when it comes down to it, he is the weak point of this offense and he is going to make mistakes and we're going to get those big plays, those sacks and those things. And so, you know, you end up with all this investment in those playmakers in the secondary and the linebackers, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, and so on and so forth. And then they, you know, they use the money left over to then pay for veterans who come back and through good coaching continue to make a contribution. So uh, you've seen guys like Javen Clowney make a contribution here. You you see guys like Kyle Von Noy make a contribution. You see guys like like old guys like Brent Urban make a contribution. You know, you've seen Matt Bique make a contribution as a third rounder from a few years ago. Um, you've seen big contributions um, from Michael, Michael Pierce as the nose tackle. It's just, it's really, really impressive what they've done. It's the kind of, you know, impressiveness required to kind of be consistently competitive each year. And of course, the Ravens, like the 49ers, are one of these teams that seems to have been hurt by injuries so much over the last half a decade um, that to see a team that's mostly healthy on the defense be really good, uh, uh, that it makes sense. I think on the offense, I'm still not 100% convinced on the offense. I think a lot of it is still Lamar do things. And I would have the same concerns there that I have about, you know, when things break down for, you know, Kansas City this year with Patrick Mahomes, with Buffalo for long periods this year with, with Josh Allen, that that's, I don't know how sustainable that is. He is playing at a really high level, but he is having to make it work with, you know, Gus Edwards at running back. And, you know, Zay Flowers is a great young player, but he isn't quite there in terms of his route running and finesse. You know, old man OBJ, you know, Isaiah Likely at tight end. Like they are, I think... When we get into the tournament, I think they will be involved in closer games. I think the score flatters in here because those turnovers were so vital to kind of getting up that big lead and kind of getting to the advantageous position that 49ers don't like to be in. So I wouldn't take, I, like, based on what I saw in this game, I wouldn't go the Ravens are way better than the 49ers, but I think you saw a team that maximized, I think you saw a team that outcoached the 49ers, and that ended up being 
a huge big enough factor and the you know the edges went their way enough that they were able to make this into a comprehensive win but if you ran this game like a hundred times i don't think this would be like a 90 baltimore 10 san francisco i think it'd be like maybe 60 40 for me uh but i think it was a really interesting game really i think really lived up to the expectations despite the scoreline and i'm I'm really fascinated to see where both these teams go going forward both in the driver's seat for the number one seed still so uh you know well in the place to get to the super bowl and if this was the super bowl rematch i don't think it would be like this it would, would be i think both teams will have learned some valuable lessons and will be even better by that point yeah and we have no other football to talk about so we will be moving on okay we will talk about the las vegas raiders beating the kansas city chiefs 22 14 a bit of a kansas city christmas nightmare uh as they had uh, back-to-back uh, scoring turnovers against them, uh, two uh, fumble six and a pick six in seven seconds, which made up the vast majority of the Vegas scoring in this game, uh, with the Chiefs' offense just looking utterly confused, a very angry-looking Patrick Mahomes, uh, who had 288 yards of touchdown and interception, and just running for his life behind a line that, mostly played well this year and then just did nothing at all this week uh the the las vegas defense got an interception a fumble four sacks and just were, were harassing him throughout uh doing a great job um the chiefs defense overall stood up very very well in this game uh as i said so the, the raiders scored 20 points uh 14 of those points came in the space of seven seconds on two mistakes from the offense uh we'll talk about those as supposed to start that was a Andy Reid got something going last week with an interesting trick play with an inside uh, shuffle handoff with uh, three men moving in the backfield. He decided instead of running a normal play, he'll run another variation of that where the uh, presumably the defense were meant to bite on the idea that it was going to be a handoff to Pat Mahomes as a rusher, which is just never going to happen given they won't even run sneaks. So uh, it was ridiculous. But then they had a... a uh, dropped handoff where there was confusion between him and the back and uh, turned around for, for, for a fumble six. And then the following play, he throws up an absolute duck and Jack Jones for the second game in a row got a pick six. Uh, outside of that, Vegas got two field goals, but the Chiefs didn't really know what they were doing at all. Uh, it was an interesting one. Uh, O'Connell had 62 yards passing in this and did not complete uh, a pass or had zero yards uh, outside of the first quarter of the game. Uh, it was utterly confusing from the offensive side. Um, it's kind of a... Hopefully it's one that they will take and, and you know, it'll force them to change some bits around. Like, there's, there's simple bits that should be happening. Like, you know, there, there's not accountability being called enough on the offensive side. So wide receivers are lining up in the wrong spots. They're not getting the calls in on times coming out of the huddle, which is just something that's never really happened before. And we saw Mahomes getting quite annoyed at his offensive line this week as well, which is the first time we've seen that, uh, I think all season where they were getting protections incorrect or they were being called in incorrectly. Like I think Steve Spagnuolo and the defense are doing a phenomenal job. Like if, like we said, zero passing yards from Vegas on the other side, they on offense uh, only allowed six points to come in. So like, that was fine. Forced lots of punts, lots of negative yards. That's grand. Like, just the Chiefs' offense just doesn't know what to do. And, like, we can blame it on drops and all that kind of stuff. And drops are there, and that's a massive problem. But, like, they're having problems getting play calls in, and be that that they've gone too complex on what they're doing, or the wide receivers haven't been drilled properly to know what they're meant to be doing, or whatever it is. Like, they were just in absolute disarray. This was the worst Chiefs' offensive performance 
I think I've seen of Mahomes' entire career. Maybe that terrible game against Tennessee three years ago or so, but like, I'd say this was probably worse, mostly because like it wasn't just receivers making mistakes in the second half, particularly at the tail end. I felt that it was Mahomes making mistakes as well. Like he was looking for open men trying to go and maybe because they were chasing they weren't getting much trying to hold the ball for a bit longer and go for the later developing plays and not taking men underneath there were players getting open albeit i i saw some criticism online that the players who were getting open weren't running the, weren't running to the spots they were meant to be running to and stuff um but yeah like i think everyone on the offensive side of the ball i'm not quite going to say andy reed included but like i think andy needs to get a better handle on this stuff real quick every single uh, member of the offensive coaching staff needs to be under a microscope here at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't, at the moment, I wouldn't be bringing any of them back. I think on the wide receiver room, maybe just Rashi Rice. Uh, I think it's 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 an absolute mess, and it's a defense that's playing at a level that they should be able to to take most games. Uh, and it, you know, like I said, fourteen points, seven seconds, offensive mistakes, and that was the difference in this game, and. Even at that, the Chiefs shouldn't be a team that's sitting at 14 points. So hopefully this is a kick up the arse. But uh, yeah, this was a cluster from the Kansas City offense. Great job from the defense. And a very confusing game from Las Vegas that might be, you know, might be helping convince them that Antonio Pierce is, is, is the man of the future for them. I'm not sure I'd want a head coach whose uh, offense doesn't have any positive passing yards for three quarters. But, you know, maybe that's just me. It is a bit of an embarrassing loss, and it's obviously a game that was ripe to be picked there to keep Kansas City in the somewhat in the number one overall pick um, hunt. Uh, less so with Baltimore's win that, that happened subsequently, but yeah, it's just pretty much everything that they you know, everything that's gone wrong this year just kind of came to its full bloom. It felt like in this game uh, for the Kansas City offense, it was basically just a, like a nightmare Christmas type situation where yeah like obviously you know Andy Reid is trying so hard to get stuff going that you end up with this trick play this fumble six um where you know the running back is hand well, you know there's kind of a a play act you know trying the option handoff to Patrick Mahomes you're kind of going like that's a risky enough play if you had like Patrick Mahomes being the one handing the ball off to the running back like now you're reversing that and you're seeing it and then yeah the the uh, the outcome is almost inevitable that something goes wrong. I, I don't think it was likely to succeed even if it did turn off, but uh, in this case, obviously, worst-case scenario. And then immediately on the next drive, you end up getting a pick-six. Like, to be fair, Jack Jones had a really impressive uh, pick-six last week against the Chargers, where he diagnosed the screen. Um, the receiver, I think, takes a lot of blame for this one. He should have come back to the ball, and he just kind of looked not that bothered I think was MVS on that play um just kind of went Ugh, whatever uh, it's fine and then Jack Jones was like give me that ball baby and you know he was like I think that showed that the, the 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 Vegas secondary did not respect these receivers they were like we can keep an eye on Patrick Mahomes because we don't think this guy can beat us um consistently through route running um so we don't have to give them their full attention and then you know obviously that ends up being the 14 points that win this game for uh the vegas raiders because they you know as you said they did, literally did nothing on offense for the three the final three quarters of this game but outside of zamir white having a pretty nice game uh, had a nice run especially on the last drive to kill off the, the game after the, the chiefs got a, a touchdown to make this close at the end um but yeah like it was just a game where mahomes looked absolutely pissed off the entire time um and you know like I, I, obviously some blame should go to mahomes but i don't think you can give 
the majority of the blame to Mahomes. I think you have to give a lot of blame to Andy Reid, and you have to give a lot of blame to the personnel around him. I think Kelsey, you know, uh, he, he's just not been the same this year. He's obviously carrying a knock, and you know, unfortunately, it's it's very unfortunate the year that he's not playing is the year where he's the most famous boyfriend in the world, and all the idiots on Twitter talking about him and. Uh, Taylor Swift and stuff, but he isn't playing at the same level. He's obviously carrying a hurt, or he's just getting old, which I suppose the latter is the more worrying outcome. And then you need these other guys to step up, and they're not doing it. Like, Rashi Rice was probably the best in this game once again, but, you know, the other guys were just doing nothing. And it's not just what they're doing uh, after the snap. You know, they're being lazy, they're giving up on routes, they're making Mahomes... You know, Mahomes is scrambling out there in the second half, trying to make something happen. And these guys, you know, just, I don't know, they're supposed to be on scramble dribble. They look like they're not arsed. Um, but also not not knowing what they're doing before the snap. You saw multiple times where guys were just running around and moving, and it's really limiting their capacity to do the thing which is working the best in terms of NFL offense this year, which is movement before the snap. And these guys just look like they don't know what they're doing. They look confused. And, like, you know, I, I think some of the blame for that has to go on Andy Reid, right? Because, you know, you've talked so much over the years about the fact he expects so much from his wide receivers. He runs a very complex, intricate scheme, and it takes time for these receivers to step up and kind of get it. But, you know, when you have these guys, these are the guys that you signed, these are the guys on your roster, at some point you got to realise, maybe i got to fucking simplify things. Maybe i got to work with what I have, not what I think I should have. And, you know, like, you know, first half of the season, fair enough. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure things out and you're like, second half of the season, we're going to explode. We're now, what, two weeks out from the playoffs and you're going to be you know, the first time ever uh, in a you know in a wild card round and you're probably, if you get through there, going to be playing away from home. Yeah. Like, that's oh. the kind of situation where he needs to he needs to book up and make, like, because Patrick Holmes is out there giving it everything. He looked fucking exhausted, like, midway through the sec- like the third quarter. He looked like he was like, I what the fuck is going on here? And you need to do something. Like, I don't know what, you know, Just if it's simplify, more screens. Simplify, simplify yeah. cut down play, but, like, I don't, I don't think we ran a straight standard play action pass in that entire game we ran about three weird trick plays that generated play action pass style opportunities but like we're not running basic plays we're not running timing routes we're not running ins and outs we're running like weird zone choice read stuff and like your personnel aren't good enough for it so simplify it like you don't you don't need to be running this fancy stuff because the basics are the stuff that these guys have been drilled with for years. So just cut it back, get over your own ego and like play a cut down playbook. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. Like, you know, in, in the playoffs, maybe have you, know, you won't be able to rely on that, but this is the fucking Raiders who are literally doing nothing. And as you say, Antonio Pierce has definitely like at least restored some level of interest from the players. They look like they actually want to play football again. But yeah, like Aiden O'Connell is not the future of this franchise, so they're going to have to get a new quarterback regardless this offseason. I feel like O'Connell could be the backup or whatever. And I think Pierce is a good motivator, but unless they pair him with a good OC in particular, uh, DC probably wouldn't hurt us either. Um, then like it, the future of the Vegas Raiders needs to be quite different, whether that be with Pierce or without Pierce. Um, but yeah, this version of the Raiders are, you know, they, they managed to sneak in here. This has been the highlight of their season, I'm sure. Uh, but it's been a lost season here after, obviously, a pretty poor choice of picking up McDaniels coach and now uh, you know, playing at the string with, with spirit but perhaps not with much skill uh, but yeah this is all about the like the, the Chiefs here I don't know uh, it's some interesting things like the defense is playing at its best level in the Mahomes era it feels like so to have that wasted by this offense literally just going into the toilet at this point like we can we can say that at this point yeah they just need to yeah humble themselves and start just doing things that work well enough re- regain some momentum and then you know keep the trick plays for when they're needed which is like when you've actually established some level of respect from the other team and they're actually gonna you know <laughs> be tricked by those plays 
Uh, but yeah, for for forty for the Chiefs, a pretty tough period. You, you never know. They have Patrick Mahomes. The defense is playing really well, so I wouldn't dismiss them completely. But certainly, this will be the toughest test ever uh, for this Mahomes era Chiefs um, if they're going to make the Super Bowl again. Yeah, it's it's such a strange Kansas City team to watch because they finally figured out the defense. Like like after years of relying on Mahomes to just carry them through games, they finally got the best defense they've they've had in the past decade. And now the offense is completely gone off a, off a cliff. It's, it's. I I can understand your frustration, Gunner, because this must be, this must be so annoying that this team should be winning the Super Bowl. This team should be should be probably, if not, I mean, maybe not fifteen and zero, but they should certainly maybe have maybe thirteen and two or something. And looking at a number one seed and looking at another Super Bowl because with Mahomes plus this defense, they should be unbeatable. And yet their offense is just an absolute mess and it does as we said come down to the, the wide receivers that they you know you know they try to save some money on via salary cap stuff or whatever or get some cheaper options and they're definitely paying the price for that because it doesn't unlike in every other year we've seen the chiefs had struggles that they finally they've st- it's, it's by this point of the season they've already figured it out but at least by this point of the season they're starting to figure it out there just doesn't seem to be any solutions coming up to the problems um that they're facing and their o-line in particular are uh, getting a little bit worried about they were seem to be in trouble all game i mean there was something like min- minus 18 yards of offense in the first first quarter, quarter yeah they did nothing it's just, like it's mind-boggling like like how mm. is that even possible like i um, i reckon i reckon it has to be koji because I, I was i was looking at it kind of going like well okay where are we falling up maybe so yeah maybe kelsey's a bit older has a knock but like the, the major difference in the wide receiver core is Juju Smith-Schuster's not there, and he's not playing this year anyway very much. So I, I, I think it might be the enemy. Like, if you think the problem here is that yeah. people aren't finishing routes, they're not understanding their playbook, they're not being, like, they, you know, they're, 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 they're playing soft and they're not, they're not doing their job right. Like, the enemy maybe isn't the world's greatest innovator, but, like, his, his his players in Washington were complaining that he was working them too hard and holding them too accountable. And all of a sudden he's gone and that's the thing that's missing from the Chiefs. Like maybe Matt Nagy and Addy Reid are just a little bit too nice to the guys and they need an enforcer on the on, on, on the coaching staff or something because yeah, like it's not that there's a huge personnel change, it's just that everyone has stopped doing their job. Yeah, I, I can definitely buy into that theory. Um it certainly it seems that there what there's something has gone wrong, and Bienemy's uh, absence may actually be the answer, um, which if so, yeah, it does doesn't bode well for the future. But uh, we'll see how it goes. In terms of Vegas, I mean, I do think we need to give some. I mean, you were underplaying Ronan, you're underplaying Antonio Pierce what he's done. He's definitely you know flipped the culture or made this team feel like they can win games. They've you know this team. On, you know, under previous, not just the previous head coach, but going back and back and back, it was difficult to ever see them play a game where they say we would put 63 points up on the Chargers or a game like this where they would just absolutely crush Kansas City on the defensive side. Like, for a long time, the joke about the Raiders with their defense was Max Crosby plus guys. And now they've got a defense that looks like, you know, it's one of the best in the league. It absolutely crushed the running game here, you know, absolutely you know, shut down what is supposed to be, uh, you know, at its best, one of the best offenses uh, out there. So there is definitely an improvement happening on that side of it. And certainly the players seem to believe in themselves more. And, you know, they may not have the solution at the passing game, but, you know, even in Zamir White, they seem to have, you know, the running game looks like they have multiple options going forward if they want to build something um, that way. So I, I think the Raiders, I mean, 
I think Pierce probably has got the. He's probably locked down the job just by this win alone. Um, but I, I definitely am interested to see where this would go under him, um, because certainly on the defensive side, they certainly have made remarkable improvements uh, in the few weeks that he's that he's been there. Um, and you'd have to think that they'd be a wild card contender next year if they got a decent quarterback or even Jimmy G back. I, I never understood why they were so willing to to throw out the mediocre guy in favor of the untried rookie. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to see where the Raiders are going. And for the chiefs, it's, it's, it is sad in a way because they're, they're like the, the, the kind of the guiding star for everyone else to work around. How good are you in comparison to Kansas city has kind of been how this league has operated for the past five or six years. And now, now it's not. And that is even from someone who's not a Kansas city fan, that is, that is a sad thing to see. Yeah, and uh, on that lovely note, I suppose we move over to we we do like to cover all the games, which uh, some of the games are. are, are I, I wish that one had been in the dump off instead. Now I'm just going to be annoyed <laughs> while this is happening. Uh, but you know, some games are more important than others, and Ronan loves those ones, so we're going to give it to him in the dump off. Take it away, Ronan. Well, the dump off is nice and dark and cool, so maybe you can cool off in there. But uh, yeah. Uh, because the NFL is a parody uh, league this year, uh, not that many actual irrelevant games, but we'll get to those at the end. But We'll start with the most relevant games. We'll start with uh, New Orleans at the Rams, 22-30 win for the Rams. The Rams, another pretty good outing here. Um, Stafford, very effective, 328 yards and two touchdowns. Nakua was 164 yards of touchdown. Williams, over 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, had a couple of nice plays as well. Um, except for the fact that you know the Rams seem to be inefficient in the red zone, they were three and six here, and that they seem to let teams back into it at the end. Uh, they were seven to thirty in the fourth quarter. Obviously, it was a one-score game at the end. You know the Rams look really good right now. Um, as for New Orleans, Carr middling basically to garbage time when they had that you know near comeback, uh, quote unquote, three hundred nineteen yards, three touchdowns, interception. As I said, mostly at the end of the game. New Orleans defense wasn't really a factor here. They had one sack, although I, I put that mostly on Stafford being really good. But uh, yeah, with three key fourth down fails by New Orleans, I think you know they they were definitely up for it, but they you know aren't good enough basically. So you know well into it for the division and, and possibly a wild card spot. But I think we see who one of the actual people you'd actually be scared of in the um, playoffs are, and it's the Rams, not the Saints. Next up, Cleveland at Houston. Very important game for the wild card. Uh, 36 to 22 win for Cleveland. Mostly because the Flacco to Amari Cooper connection was hot as shit in this game. 265 yards and two touchdowns for Cooper. Uh, Flacco had said that had, like, I think, about 100 yards and two interceptions, basically, and a touchdown. So Cooper, very important here, and not just in the sense of getting the production, but also saving Flacco's bacon and multiple chance. Had mo- Cooper had multiple highlight catches on the sideline, the one where he kind of, the window is basically a micrometer across, and he had to twist his body. Very, very fun. Um, he did look quite tired by the end, so carrying the team. Uh, but Houston's defense, they were left frustrated despite getting those turnovers by just that, that thing working. It was a really interesting game for Cleveland overall because they lost both their kicker and their punter in the middle of this game. And so they were going on fourth down everyone, which is probably why Houston had a, a slight comeback towards the end because, you know, by the middle of this game it was already pretty much over. Uh, Keenum, not very good. He had two touchdowns towards the end here, but he was bullied by the Cleveland defense for most of it. Uh, Davis Mills came in and got two um, garbage time uh, touchdowns uh, when they were 36-7 down. Um, I think Stroud basically it might make Houston interesting again, but this version of Houston is you know, surprisingly close to the one we saw last year, which was not fun at all. Better, but not, not fun. 
Uh, Jacksonville at Tampa Bay, 20 to 30. The Jacksonville slide continues in the Battle of Florida. Baker is still cooking out here, 202 and entry yards and two touchdowns. Um, had a few ballsy plays where he put his body on the line once again. That's the stuff that you love to see as a fan. Uh, but I think he was just also efficient at picking apart this Jacksonville defense, a couple of nice lasers to uh, Mike Evans in particular. But you saw production from Evans, Godwin, White, and they got up to a 30 to zero lead in the third quarter. So not really a contest here. Lawrence, you know, very erratic. His mechanics are completely thrown off by all these injuries he's holding. Two interceptions in this game. Tampa Bay were pressuring him consistently with four sacks, and obviously he was forced out early with that shoulder injury. So, Jags still atop the AFC South by tiebreaker and in the wildcard hunt, but, you know, they are in free fall right now. And to be honest, a, a, an injured Lawrence isn't really worth seeing in the playoffs. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, 11-34. Uh, I said I had a bad feeling about this game in terms of Pittsburgh beating up uh, Cincinnati, and so it came to pass. Rudolph, 290 yards and two touchdowns, delivering the Christmas present of an actual offense to the Pittsburgh faithful. Um, uh, in particular, the surprise package was George Pickens, who had 195 yards and two touchdowns, mostly of several hugely explosive plays. And, you know, they were able to grind out the rest with the Harris-Warren running back combo. Uh, but, yeah, they were helped a lot by Browning hero ball, finally coming back at him in a significant way. We kind of saw that last week we got away with it against Minnesota. This week, not so much. Three interceptions, um, one which, you know, was in the red zone. I think one which set up a Pittsburgh touchdown. Just very key uh, turnovers, which ended up being uh, quite harmful. And this is all despite the fact that, you know, his connection with T. Higgins was solid 140 yards touchdown, mostly off a big 75-yard slant play. Um, but, yeah, 0-3 <laughs> in the red zone. Setting up Pittsburgh scores, not good enough. Uh, Cincinnati's still alive, but uh, big win for Pittsburgh to kind of stop the stall they've been on recently. Indianapolis at Atlanta, 10 to 29. Atlanta, hey, you know, we're finally willing to put Atlanta in the bin, and then they suddenly start playing well again. Um, they kind of beat up an understaffed Indianapolis who are missing people like Pittman, and their defense took a hit, two hits in this game. But Heineke provided the spark, kind of. He kind of got away with a few near picks early on, but 229 yards and a touchdown. But, you know, giving the ball to Bijan, hey, just do it. 122 yards, and just do it. You know, they ended up relying on field goals, as is the Atlanta way, five field goals in this game, but it was enough because, you know, in Indianapolis without Pittman, Minshew looked a little bit lost, 201 yards and an interception. JT was mostly bottled up by his Atlanta defensive line. Achilles Campbell had a number of good plays, but, uh, yeah, not, not a game that'll live long in the memory of Indianapolis, but still alive in both division and wildcard, so hopefully dust themselves off Atlanta. Still, re still relevant. Still have to talk about them. God damn it, just go away. Uh, Buffalo at the Chargers, 24 to 22. Buffalo survive a scare here as they need a 28-yard field goal winner to kind of uh, get it done. Uh, thanks to Shakir clutch catch and their final drive. Allen, 237 yards, a touch and interception. He was explosive, mostly in combination with Gabe Davis, who had 130 yards, three yards in this touchdown and four catches. He also, yeah, and you know, it wasn't perfect. And the mistake, you know, two fumbles here, an interception. Definitely not what they want to see after, you know, finally, you know, getting our fate back. But, hey, they got away with it. Uh, the Chargers stick, you know, at least showing some fight here, 250 yards. Uh, the offense, you know, was moving the ball down the field in the post-daily era. That's nice to see, though. Ended up, you know, leaning on five field goals, so not perfect there either. And the defense was, you know, I wouldn't say it was perfect, but they got three turnovers, so you can't blame them here. So maybe you'll see enough from the Chargers here so some people can keep their jobs. Uh, though not, not, not Easton Stick and not the coach, so I don't know how much really matters. Giants at Philly, 25-33. Philly, you know, they were dominating this game, 23 in the first half as Tommy DeVito was pulled at the half because he was doing literally nothing. And then they just kind of just hit themselves in the face multiple times. They had a fumble off a special team's gaff on a kick return. Uh, they had a pick six and that kind of closened it up. But then I think Philly, you just saw they were a better team. You know, Hurts uh, 
uh, manned up, got the job done, 335 to touch interception. I think Swift was particularly key in the second half to just kind of calm the horses and he got 92 yards on an actual touchdown. Um, didn't get touch pushed out uh, for once uh, in this case. And yeah, for the Giants, like the defense was a bit disappointing here given it's shown signs of being good against a, an offense that's reeling. And then, you know, the offense did nothing under DeVito. I think he's probably permanently benched for now. And Tyrod, solid, but not inspiring as usual. Um, enough to get them into this game, but not enough to win the game. That's just kind of the way they were this game and then move on. Uh, Seattle at Tennessee, 20-17. Seattle get a very vital win in their playoff uh, hunt. Gino lays a game-winning drive. Uh, they did need to get a defense, couple of defensive stops on the, on the, on the one-minute drive. Um, 227 yards, two touchdowns. He looks solid and, you know, this is the second game in a row where you've had a last-minute uh, touchdown to, to win the game. And it was a tough test against Tennessee at home that their defense plays much better at home. And Metcalf, Lockett, JSN, Walker all made reasonable contributions, uh, though none were the kind of star of the show as it were. Tannehill, just classic Tannehill. This offensive line is terrible and he just looks pretty uninspiring behind the 189 yards here. Henry was solid, nearly 100 yards, and he had uh, a touchdown, but also passed a touchdown early on. But uh, yeah, just Tennessee just stuck in the mud on offense. I think you probably put Levis back in there if he's healthy going forward for the back half of the season. And then Green Bay, Carolina, 33-30. Green Bay, you know, Carolina, the clock just runs out on them at the end uh, when they could have got a field goal to lay, get tickets to overtime. But, you know, Green Bay survived, but they did allow Young his best game probably the season, 302, 312 yards, two touchdowns. Um, a lot of good uh, plays to Chark and Thielen, particularly during the comeback phase of his game where they were 30-16 down. Yeah, Joe Barry questions have to be asked, particularly if they don't make the playoffs this year. Oh, 400 yards allowed to this Carolina offense, not acceptable. Love was fine in this game, two touchdowns uh, versus what well, is actually a solid Carolina defense uh, with Aaron Jones doing most of the work early on. He had over 100 yards, um, but yeah, you know, Love was clutch at the end to just about get it done. But worrying signs for Green Bay um, against obviously one of the worst teams in the league. New England at Denver, 26 to 23, a surprise win for New England, which basically kills off Denver's playoff hopes. Um, on Xmas Eve night. Zappi, you know, he's showing enough to at least be worth being a backup, I think, though he's definitely not starter level. 250 yards and two touchdowns. He had another touchdown for Zeke here as well, you know. I, I don't know what this means for the future, but it's fine for now. And he led that one-minute drive for the 56-yard field goal after they blew a 23-7 lead um, in the second half. Like Russ, most of his game spent looking cooked. He did get two touchdowns in the end, but mostly... I don't really think it was mostly just got away with the fact that you know, eventually New England weren't really doing anything in the second half in the offense and giving them the multiple chances. New England's defense, you know, I think it's, you know, given all of the losses they have, it's still impressive that they're getting anything out of it. Um, and their special teams also got a fumble TD. So, you know, you'll take it, but I don't know what the future here is. As for uh, Peyton on the other side, uh, you know, he is uh, quite angry at the moment. So I expect some big changes for Denver in the offseason. Arizona-Chicago, uh, one of our two irrelevant games. Chicago race up to a 21-point lead uh, and then end up finishing 27-16. Fields, impressive early on. Um, 170 yards, touchdown, double interception, 97 yards and a touchdown rushing. You know, he's showing off his skills. I think he's worthy of being a starter in this league. I don't know if it's going to be for Chicago. Um, and in this game, mostly leaning on Herbert and Komet as their playmakers. Kyler, I don't know what to do with Kyler. He just honestly looks like a worse version of Justin Fields, to be frank, in this game. Very inconsistent. He had two touchdowns in the kind of comeback phase. But overall, just, I don't know if you can build an offense around someone who's so mercurial, uh, to be perfectly frank. But someone's going to do it. It'd just be interesting to see whether it be Arizona. And finally, Washington at the Jets, 28-30. What a dumb game. <laughs> the Jets get a 55-yard field goal to uh, win this dead rubber uh, and kind of make things feel a little bit worse. Salah, who, who I think is now being confirmed, will be back next season. You know, this their game started 0-20 lead for the Jets, mostly based on Howell 
uh, turnovers in the in his own uh, red zone. Um, then went into 28 to 27 as Washington clawed their way back into the lead, and then obviously field goal to win for the Jets. Very dumb game. Uh, Jets defense not the problem here. They had three turnovers here early. Once against Howell, Brissett came in and did an, a really good job again. You imagine he might be in consideration for the starter for the last two games, but uh, yeah, you know the Jets they have Trevor Simeon. It's not good, but he gives the ball to Brees Hall, and that is good. But that's basically all they have. Any better team would have probably been able to shut them down more thoroughly. So, yep, a suitably dump-off game to the end of dump-off of weeks of scene. Talk to you next week. All right, so let's kick off with Thursday Night Football. An important one for the old AFC wild card and the AFC North title. The Jets are travelling over to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Sean, we've gone for Cleveland across the board. Yeah, uh, obviously relevant for the Browns in terms of the outside chances of the AFC North, but also... Uh, wild card spot they basically can clinch a playoff spot uh, if they win and we you'd expect them to do so the i mean obviously on the offensive side the the browns have kind of found their solution in flacco uh here basically he's got to find a way around what is a pretty decent jets defense uh avoid the turnovers uh, and just score a few points i don't think they need to score too many points on the offensive side because the the real deciding factor in this game i think is on the defensive side uh, obviously the jets defense no matter who they have under center is is a complete joke at the moment uh it looks like maybe trevor simeon at quarterback uh against you know the browns defense which has been you know at a high level all the year i just yeah i just think that the problems that the jets are going to have is that they're going to have to score a, a decent amount of points to keep be competitive in this game and against a defense this good i just can't see it whereas on the other side you expect the browns to to pick up enough it may not be the prettiest game in the world but i can't imagine it being too difficult for the browns to win this one yeah you've also uh you've your pick of the week is saturday night football and uh boy it's a big one this one probably have a huge impact on uh, the NFC number one seed and the bye weeks. Detroit are heading down to Dallas. Myself and Ronan have gone for Dallas and you've gone for Detroit, Sean. Yeah, betting against the Cowboys in their own stadium is perhaps not the uh, smartest move these days, but uh, I just love the Lions and, and I kind of feel like they, they I want to believe in their chances. I don't think the number one seed is, I think too many permutations have to go their way for them to get the number one seed. Uh, although it would, be, it would be amazing if the NFC playoffs went through went through Detroit. Uh, that would be that would be an amazing uh, celebration moment for Dan Campbell and his boys to, to do that. Uh, obviously, the both these teams somewhat, uh, you know, they're spectacular and they're they've got real strengths, but they've also got pretty noticeable deficiencies. Uh, Dallas are quite inconsistent um, and don't seem to quite live up to their hype on both sides. Just when you start to believe in their defense, their defense falls apart. When you start to believe in their offense, their offense starts to struggle uh they that said they are a lot better uh, at home uh, and they do need the win to stay in the nfc east contention uh, i think the big game the big battle here perhaps well firstly is the, the there'll be very interesting the explosive detroit offense against dan quinn's defense and how we will scheme up to face them and i think it's a good challenge for both those units in terms of how do they deal with a high level uh, opponent and I, and I think we'll learn an awful lot about how good this dallas defense is uh, still uh, and whether this Detroit offense is able to is able to make stuff happen uh, at the very against the very best team, so I think that's an interesting battle on the on that side. The other side is perhaps where maybe Dallas might have a slight edge in terms of the fact that we've 
as we've talked about the Detroit defense, maybe not at the elite level it needs to be for the teams that are around them, and particularly some weaknesses as we talked about in the secondary, uh, particularly at outside cornerback. So maybe if Dak's going to win, is this that's where he tries to exploit? Maybe we might see C.D. Lamb causing some havoc uh, around the outside uh, or whatever. So, I mean, on paper, given that they're at home and given that they maybe have the uh, talent edge slightly, you might want to pick Dallas for this, and I can certainly understand that. But uh, when it comes to Detroit, I mean, I'm all about the vibes, and i got to believe in, in the Detroit Lions, and um, I'm going to stick with them the whole way. So, yeah, Lions for me. Yeah, I think if the Detroit Lions are going to win this game, I think they're going to look at what the Buffalo Bills did two weeks ago and go, we should do that, basically. They have, obviously, a really high-quality offensive line. They have an elite running back tandem. And what they don't want to do is kind of give it to Jared Goff, throw it across the middle and get picked off by Deron Bland or others at the safety position. Uh, now, obviously, like Dallas, on the other hand, have the capability on, on their own offense, particularly against a vulnerable outside uh, cornerback uh, pair in Detroit, to kind of make this a shootout. But I don't think that's what Detroit should want to do. They should want to grind it right through the middle of that defense, which looked so vulnerable a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was better against uh, Miami, but they're not really a kind of in-between-the-tackles running team uh, regardless. And just kind of bully them off this game if they want to win. But I do think, like, at home, Dallas's form has been incredibly impressive. And I do think that Dak, like, obviously, obviously a couple of tough weeks there, will look at this Detroit secondary and a defensive line that hasn't really been making the impact that you would expect outside. And maybe Hutchinson's been okay, but you know there's only so much they can do that you know you will see the return of the Dak that we saw against some of those weaker defenses, and he can start splicing them up with Brandon Cooks and Ceedee Lamb. So I'm willing to give Dallas the benefit of the doubt here, but I, I like you, Sean, I would love Detroit to win, and I think if they do it, they need to take the, the leaf out of Buffalo's book and just bully Dallas out of this game. Yeah, no, I just I've got I've got a feeling my complaint about Detroit is just that their defense hasn't really rounded the corner like it did beforehand. And I think Dallas at home are going to be able to, to, to get it going. So maybe they could keep pace, but I don't know. I just feel Dallas will, will manage it. Well, I'd expect to see kind of one of those uh, silly kind of two interception games uh, from, from Detroit. Um, next up is the early slate, Ronan. Another one for the NFC number one pick. Uh, and also, I suppose, for the number one draft pick. Uh, San Fran have to go to Washington. And like we're presuming San Fran will manage this that they can't just take a uh take the blueprint from uh baltimore and apply it to this washington defense right well you remember when i said that baltimore i've coached san francisco well washington are one of the worst coaching tickets in the league of fielding right now uh so i expect that washington will turn the ball over a bunch and their defense will be terrible and yeah san francisco will easily win and obviously coming off obviously with the number one seed still in their own hands and coming off a, a humbling loss to some extent, they'll be more than willing to take out their frustrations on Washington and Washington aren't going to put up much resistance. So easily, John Francisco should get this done. Yeah, Arizona heading off to Philadelphia. Philadelphia obviously looking for the uh, NFC number one seed. And uh, there's also, you know, the how, how good a draft pick Arizona might be able to get out of this. Um, yeah, look, Hurts and Philadelphia have been in a bit of a tailspin. They got it back a little bit there against the Giants. But as uh, you heard in the dump off, they still did try and shit it away at a certain point. Um, they need to catch themselves up here. They need to get right. These are the kind of games that you should be able to get right in because Arizona are not really playing particularly great at the moment. They'll be keeping an eye on, like they need San Francisco to drop a game because it'll be tied on record, but they lose head to head. Um, from the other side, like we talk about fields trying to 
you know justify himself in the job i think kyler murray really is is trying to justify his position uh within arizona because he's not really been playing well since he came back from the injury and it's been a while since he's had a good season but yeah i expect philadelphia to have no major issues here um we're off to atlanta taking off so we're off to chicago where atlanta are going to be taking on chicago next run and we've gone for chicago across the board in uh yeah, Atlanta need this to stay live in the uh, in the uh, both the division and the wild card, I suppose. Yeah, like the, they're very marginally relevant. I uh, hope we kind of hope they lose this game. We've all picked Chicago probably because we don't. I want was to very be close to taking Atlanta, but then <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't say no to them not being relevant. Exactly, um, but like, look, Atlanta. Who knows? Any given week, I think Heineke was better than Ritter last week, but you know he's also shown some pretty awful displays recently. The Chicago defense is definitely improved since they traded for Montez Sweat, so you know I don't think it'll be an easy day for the offense. Probably a day to give it to Bijan. I don't know Arthur Smith. Now you're going to do the exact opposite, I'm sure. On the other hand, like Justin Fields is playing for his job. He's playing at a I'd say a solid level, but like the deficiencies in this game in terms of anticipation and just kind of standard quarterbacking are there for all to see. And Atlanta's defense has been pretty solid. They've obviously got some big games um, over the course of the season, particularly from Jesse Bates and Clayce Campbell showed up last week. So, you know, it's a very close game between two teams who are, I think, both technically irrelevant. But uh, Chicago's a team that we like, and I think eh, Justin Field, give him a, give him a nice game, nice send-off, because it'll at least improve the uh, package Chicago get if they do trade him in the end. Yeah. Uh, next up, New Orleans at Tampa Bay. We've gone for Tampa Bay across the board. Tampa Bay, obviously, they will clinch the NFC South if they win this one. Um, and obviously, New Orleans are still there, thereabouts on the hunt as well. Baker's been playing really well of late. They've kind of established themselves as looking like definitely the best team in that division. But they are still inconsistent and all that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll have to see. New Orleans, I found a little bit more consistency of late. Maybe just Derek Carr not being injured anymore or at least having less injuries than he did beforehand. They're still not very explosive. Their defense is still so-so. But they're solid enough, I suppose. So, like, this is a... This is a big old fight for them. They kind of really need this win because they're one behind for both the division and the wildcard spots. And uh, like we said, for Tampa Bay, if they can get this here, they can lock it up. And I'd expect, and I think we all expect them to lock it up, don't we? Yeah, I think we want them to lock it up because we want the NFC yeah. side to at least be reasonably you know, non-dumb. Just for a week. Just for a week, just get it done. But, of course, now that we're like saying that, inevitably New Orleans are going to win this fucking New Orleans are going to win and Atlanta are going <laughs> to win the previous one. We're going to be right back to square one. But like, look, Tampa Bay, the things that I think I like about Tampa Bay in particular is that they found a form of success that isn't just hook it up to Mike Evans, which was kind of what they were relying on in the early part of the season. You started to see contributions from Chris Godwin as the other receiver. I think the biggest revelation has been Rashad White, who I still I don't think has elite explosiveness, but is doing everything else really well, particularly in the kind of screen pass game where he has got a lot of yards after catch, probably you know helped by the fact that you know Godwin and Evans are clearing out a lot of defenders uh, when they go down the field. And so Baker, obviously, you know it's hard not to root for Baker. Obviously, a lot of bad luck in his career. Obviously, a guy who's got a certain attitude that's it's easy to root for, and he's playing at a, he's playing really high level football at the moment uh, while continuing to basically put his body on the line for this team. Uh, the noises out of the reports this weekend are that the team and him have mutual interest in keeping this going and I don't know if they're ever going to win a Super Bowl with Baker but at least it makes them fun and interesting and easy to root for as for New Orleans this dead fish team that continues to stay somehow relevant like I think Carr has been better recently I I think I'm I'm, I'm brave enough to admit that but you know it's still very up and down how brave Um, but they do have they, they do have the connection, you know, they have Olave, they have Kamara, they're getting contributions from Rashid Shahid. Um, the Joan Johnson showed up last week, you know, 
use an actual tight end instead of Taysom Hill. I don't know. A tight end, you know, it's interesting. So I wouldn't discount them and their defense. It's been pretty disappointing, I would say, overall, but has had games where they've dominated. So I wouldn't discount them, but I think Tampa Bay have been the better team and we all hope they win. So uh, let's get it done, Tampa Bay at home. Yeah, if we must watch one of these NFC South teams in the playoffs, and it seems we must, Tampa Bay is the only acceptable option. The only team fun enough to watch and actually probably good enough to, to deserve a playoff spot. And the Baker factor as well for me in terms of this. The Saints are they're, they're just an incredibly boring team mm-hmm. year in, year out, and I just can't I just can't root for them. Yeah, and uh, another one that's NFC wildcard relevant, we've got the Rams taking on the Giants. We've gone for the Rams across the board. Um, yeah, look, the New York Giants defense has been a little bit better of late, uh, uh, but, you know, this is also a very powerful potent offense from the LA Rams uh, Cup coming back into proper MVP form Nakua playing really well Williams playing really well so it's you know it's exciting there's a bit of question mark at quarterback in the New York Giants at the moment because DeVito should be back and available but Tyrod maybe looked a little bit better than him last week uh, when he was in playing for him and you know it's, it's that kind of like you know, it's it's kind of it's the dead zone for the Giants. So, do you spend a bit of time trying to develop Devito and see if he can be your backup? Do you try and win and put Tyrod in now, even though you're not really going anywhere and you're going to just cost yourself a draft position? It's a, it's just 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 a bit of a mess. So, I'd expect the Rams to take this with the Giants not really being all that laser focused. Uh, I think the Giants have been playing relatively hard on the stretch, like you know. Obviously, Devito, the means and stuff was impressive, but obviously they were playing hard enough to allow Devito to win games, um, which obviously he wouldn't have done if they were truly just like taking the back half of the season off. I think Dayball, I think he has a point to prove, and he is trying things out. And they are playing tough football. You know, obviously they got a lot of help against Philly last week, but you know they still did stay competitive against one of the better teams in the NFC in theory. But I do think the Rams are playing at a really high level. That combination of weapons that they now have, Nakua, Cup and Williams, has really basically shredded everyone that's been put before them in the last uh, month or so. And I think, you know, the biggest concern for them is that they've just been very bad at shutting games out. But Stafford playing at, I would say, a all-pro type level, uh, MVP if they were play, uh, had more wins, but you know I think he is the difference that they will get it done here, even if it isn't always uh, the prettiest. But you know the Giants, their defense at times has looked pretty good, so I don't expect it to be an easy ride. But uh, yeah, the Rams are you know have more wins for a reason, and they should get it done. But you know I wouldn't discount the Giants completely as at least making it a contest. Yeah. Next up, we have Miami at Baltimore. This is obviously a huge game for both the. Uh, Number one overall seed in the AFC, as we talked. It's also clinchers for the AFC East and the AFC North. Uh, Baltimore will get the number one seed with a win. Miami win uh, AFC East if they win and obviously then get a head-to-head over Baltimore uh, should they... I think they still need a result in the last week. But, um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting one. Like, we talked quite a bit earlier about Baltimore and how they... They're playing very well with what they've got, but there are some limitations to it uh, and how well they're coached. I think Miami are a team that are, are quite well coached, have incredibly talented roster. And honestly, I think I, I would have given the edge to Miami in this one myself, apart from the fact that the injury to Waddle and the concerns around how much of a root tree Hill can do at the moment is the problem for me. Uh, I think if they were healthy, I might actually be shading Miami in this one just because I think the speed matchup and the timing pass stuff that they do matches far better against the type of defense that Baltimore runs than the likes of the, the 49ers kind of uh, stuff does. But yeah, look, it should be an exciting game. Miami will have some bits to overcome, but this is, you know, this is a this is a preview of probably 
one of the potential, if not probable, matchups that you'll see in the AFC during the playoffs. So they'll want to feel each other out. Obviously, they'll both want to win, but they'll also want to be saving some stuff in the tank for if they inevitably meet each other. Because these are two playoff-bound teams who are at this stage have to be in playoff planning mode a little bit and not be showing everything uh, they will play out hard on this one because this could you know get them a bye week and that's that's what's relevant but i wouldn't be amazed if we if if if, if this game gets maybe two scores away from someone if we see things getting shut down a little bit earlier to keep people healthy and all that kind of stuff and to not put tape out there of some interesting elements but look this is a improving, better Miami defense whose front seven were getting some pressure on and Jalen Ramsey has made their, their, their back end an awful lot more stable, taking on a Baltimore offense that, like we said, got the win but wasn't spectacular last week. And then we've got a Miami offense that can be explosive but can also be kind of quiet. Uh, and we've always said like their problem is moving on to their second or third option. And they'll be coming in on their second or third option given the injuries they're facing. And what does this Baltimore team scheme up for it and how do they respond to that? And will they show, you know, a variety of looks or will they try and keep it vanilla to keep some stuff in their pocket for potential playoffs? So I think should have a very exciting game, should see an awful lot of second and third level thought processes for coaches and stuff. And uh, it should just be like just overall a very entertaining one as long as the weather stays decent in Baltimore. And don't forget McDaniel's obviously from the, the Shanahan tree, so I'm sure he'll have looked on in great interest at what the 49ers failed to do last yeah. week against Baltimore or the interceptions and obviously Miami uh, alongside the 49ers are one of those teams that loves to exploit that kind of middle part of the field. They love their movement and stuff like that, so it'll mm. be interesting to see if uh, you know there's any weaknesses that have been diagnosed by McDaniel um, in the week uh, based on the tape that he can exploit but obviously Baltimore the way they've built their defenses we've talked about in the reviews almost seems designed to take away that middle of the field they have so many high level safeties high level linebackers that make that job much more difficult so you might see you know Will Hill have to kind of get past Marlon Humphrey to kind of get those kind of big plays that he's thrived off this year and you know two is probably I don't know, is two better than Purdy? It's hard to know, but I would say he's probably more conservative than Purdy, I would say, usually. Um, so I wouldn't yeah. expect him to be as, as prone to kind of throwing it into dangerous situations, probably take a few more sacks, probably just throw it away more often. So, yeah, I think this will be a, a tense game, a, a tough game. And on the other hand, yeah, Lamar, as I said, I have concerns at the consistency of this Baltimore offense, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, against this Miami defense, which has been doing a, a pretty solid job of improving over the course of the season, they get a, another chance for Lamar to buffer his... Uh, his MPP chances uh, if he can get it done here. And yeah, I, I, th- I wouldn't agree in terms of them holding anything back. Like, you know, Miami, if they win this game, not only take control of the number one seed because they'll have to head to head over Baltimore, but they also avoid a week 18 matchup against Buffalo for the division. Baltimore yeah. obviously secure the number one seed here if they win. I think both teams will be coming full on everything at them and you'll see two really well-coached teams go head-to-head and create something which, you know, as I said the la- last week, I don't think it, I think the game was closer than the score suggested. Once again, I think even if the scores are wide, these will be two well-matched teams. But uh, I think Baltimore have, prov- have proven enough that we give their faith that they can get it done at home. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't discount Miami. That They're obviously a team that deserves respect, especially because they've learned how to grind things out more recent in more recent weeks. Yeah, I think this is a it's a bigger test, I think, for Miami in terms of what we think of them than for the Ravens. I think at least from my perspective, I'm I kind of I'm bought in on the Ravens being an elite team and they're gonna be there thereabouts regardless of what happens in this game. But the Dolphins okay, they they beat the Cowboys, but have they really shown us that when they're facing the, the very elite of the NFL, they're capable of getting things done, especially with the if the offensive injuries they're facing, it's gonna be quite a challenge here against a, a very tough and well coached uh, Baltimore defense to find those solutions and I think that's as we've talked about endlessly about the Dolphins it's about 
do they have the flexibility on the offensive side to, to win tough games against good teams? So if the Dolphins win this game, it's not just about what they gain in terms of winning the division and you know putting themselves into, into a good spot for the number one seed. I think it, it, it lays down a marker for the league that these guys are for real and they're coming for the, for the, for the championship. Um, whereas if they lose here and perhaps lose maybe by 14 points or more, I still think that we're still stuck in the same place where the Dolphins are. Are they quite... Uh, they're not quite at that level that they need to be. Um, whereas I think, regardless of what happens, I think the Ravens uh, are are a very a very very good team and will continue to be so. So I think it's a very important game for the the Dolphins, just in terms of their own self perception, maybe as much as anything else. So I think it'll be a good one. Yeah, uh, Carolina Jacksonville's up next, Sean. Oof, uh, we've gone for Jacksonville across the board. Yeah, it's. I mean, the the Jags. It the, the how quickly the Jags season has fallen apart has been. They were, I think, eight and three or something at one point, looking like they were potentially in the, in the conversation for the number one seed. And now, if they happen to lose this game, I think they drop below fifty percent chances of making the playoffs. That's just how much it's kind of fallen in these last four or five weeks. Obviously, the Trevor Lawrence question is is the big one. Is he going to play or not? Even if he plays, he doesn't. He seems to be his mechanics are being affected in such that he's making poor throws, which means he's making the mistakes. He's also fumbling an awful lot more. Like it's it, the the injury seems to have brought out a lot of the old Trevor Lawrence as opposed to the new one. So even if he plays, there's no guarantee the Jags are going to be in a good place. On the other side, the Panthers have been awful all year, but maybe, maybe, maybe Bryce Young has started to figure out how to play as an NFL quarterback. His performance against the Packers was probably the best one we've seen from him. So if they evolve from here, uh, you know, it could be it could be an interesting test. I mean, I think on talent, you have to give the Jags the, the edge here simply because they have they have so much going on for them offensively and their defense is quite strong, whereas the Panthers haven't have only really shown maybe the last week that what they're capable of but i i wouldn't put past the panthers maybe sneak this one given the where the jags are in terms of their form and their and their mentality but yeah the jags have to win this one just to you know keep their sanity in check i think um uh but i wouldn't i wouldn't count out the panthers for sure yeah uh next up tennessee at houston myself and ronan have gone for houston sean's gone for tennessee tell us about this one ronan yeah, like, look, it's a game which could be much more entertaining if CJ Stroud plays. We hope he plays. He's missed two weeks now with concussion. That is a big concern. Like, if it goes more than one week, you have to be concerned. But let's assume Stroud is back, which we did last week and we're wrong. But let's assume he's back, and let's assume he comes back and just reunites the offense. They're obviously missing Tank Dell, but Nico Collins played last week. Noah uh, Brown was playing. Um, they hopefully have their tight end back. And, you know, if Stroud comes back, plays well, then they should win this game at home and restore some hope there and keep them in both the divisional and uh, number six, number seven seed hunt. Um, they do play a Tennessee who've been a bit improved recently. Um, I think their defense is playing tough, so don't expect it to be easy for Stroud. But I think, you know, given the talent, he should get it done. And, yeah, I think Levis is expected to be back. I don't know if it makes that much difference, to be honest. Like, he's been more explosive, but he's also more inconsistent. But, you know, I think I don't think either is likely to lead an offense explosive enough to get it done. But, yeah, obviously, given what we've seen in Houston, and if Stroud is possibly out, then I, I don't blame people for picking Tennessee. So, me and you have gone for Houston, uh, Connor, uh, Tennessee for Sean. But uh, I want Houston to, do, you know, I, I know it's not as exciting as it was like a month ago, but if Stroud comes back and plays at Stride levels, they're still one of those teams I'd love to see in the playoffs. Yeah. Next up, Vegas at Indianapolis. Myself and Sean have gone for Vegas. You've gone for Indy. This is a big one for the AFC wildcard hunt. So Vegas, 
with their kind of two wins back to back, are kind of firing towards a potential playoff spot. Um, uh, they kind of they need to probably win their two games to get there. They could get by with one, but they probably need the two. Indianapolis, who have been tipping away, have fallen back a little bit now after the loss last week, but they're still in the hunt. I think they're only a game back in their uh, in their uh, division as well. So, like we have to just keep an eye on this one, Indy. I. I don't know. They just seem to be breaking down a little bit now at this point, and uh, we'll see. They've they've have got they've got Taylor back at running back, and maybe they can get a little bit more going there. Vegas, the Vegas pick is purely based on. I I think he, they've done a good job on getting the defense doing stuff. I don't think they have a clue of what they're trying to do on offense. Hopefully, Jacobs might be back, and that might give them something to anchor on a little bit more. But I, I could see Minchie making one or two mistakes, Vegas getting some defensive scores, and this being an ugly 17-14 win. Yeah, like I don't think it's going to be like the most entertaining game of all time by any stretch. Um, I'm kind of putting my faith that Pittman's going to come back. I think that offense in terms of the passing game has basically flowed completely through Pittman in terms of volume. Um, and obviously, Justin Ta- like, sorry, Taylor came back last week and got the touchdown but didn't do much else. So I think they have the elements when fully healthy to have a functional offense. We've seen that enough times this year that you know Minshew can put it together. I think the Vegas defense obviously has played better since firing McDaniels, but I think they, they have been vulnerable at times. So I don't expect this to be a high-scoring game by any stretch. Um, and on the defensive side, like I just like honestly, I have no faith in O'Connell. Like, yeah, look, Josh Higgins come back, but the problem the problem wasn't running back. Samir White has been pretty good at running back as a fill-in for Josh Jacobs. The problem is O'Connell is bad, and he is bad at football. And even though I wouldn't rate the Indianapolis defense to be you know good, I think against this type of quarterback, I still expect him to keep it close. So I'm expecting a quite a tense game here. I'm going to edge it for Indianapolis, and they get it done because they've shown that they can get it done enough times this year when fully healthy. Um, but yeah, not 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 one for. Uh, one for the purists, we'll say. Yeah, on paper, I think there is a lot to say for Indianapolis in terms of their their offensive firepower compared to Vegas. But I think Vegas are just in a better place in terms of the, the coaching changes and what they believe in themselves, and especially on the defensive side, they they certainly seem to have step taken a step up. And uh, yeah, I think they'll cause cause a problem for the Colts' uh, uh, offense. The big problem for the Va- Raiders, as you say, is whether they'll score enough points. But then they did score sixty three points against the Chargers. So I mean, it, it is it is up and down. They did score zero points <laughs> against the Vikings. So you know. Yes, they, they're very up and down. They average out to about twenty seven points a game. So I don't see what the problem is. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. So I I go for Vegas because of forum, but uh, I think it's quite a tight game, and I think it could be an ugly one, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, New England at Buffalo. This is for uh, essentially the AFC East race and the wildcard race, but uh, not for New England. Uh, we've gone for Buffalo across the board, Sean. Yeah, it's amazing how much the Bills' season has turned around, given that you know four weeks ago we were saying that they looked like they were going to miss the playoffs, and now if they win this, now they're in the sixth seed, so now they basically only have to win out, and even if they, they may only need one win, if they win this game, they're basically in the playoffs. I think there's a, there's a combination which knocks them out even at, at 10 and 7. But uh, they win this one. They, they're they in the playoffs, at least a wild card, and they should have a shot at the division then, given uh, we expect Miami to lose to uh, to Baltimore. So, uh, obviously, the big, you know, Bills are in a very nice place in terms of the form at the moment, albeit they had a bit of a, a wobble against the Chargers, but they certainly seem to be in a in a better place than they were a few weeks ago. Allen is in, is in good form. They found a few solutions uh, in terms of the running game. 
uh, as well. The big challenge here is that, you know, it's a Belichick defense and Belichick, it's a divisional game and Belichick's going to have some aces up his sleeve and it's possible he's playing for his job, albeit if, if after you've won six Super Bowls, your job hinges on whether or not you beat Buffalo in a meaningless Week 16 game. It, it doesn't say an awful lot for his job security generally. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough game because uh, of the knowledge each team has of the other and not forgetting the Pats managed to beat the Bills early this season, so they do have a blueprint for shutting these guys down. But I think offensively, I'm still not bought into New England uh, under Zappi as being the, having the solutions that they need, whereas the Bills the last few weeks have kind of demonstrated to me that they've 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 problem solved, they've, they've found their way forward, and they have blueprint for success, and you've got to expect that they'll continue on that route. Yeah, next up we're into the late window. Cincinnati taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, the Chiefs looking to wrap up their division. The Cincinnati Bengals trying to get themselves into the playoffs. I have swapped my pick for this about six times during the recording of this podcast. Uh, For the moment, I'm going to go with Kansas City on it. Um, Yeah, so... We talked about them in the game reviews. The offense was completely out of sorts. No one had a clue what they were doing. Um, hopefully they can get that fixed, simplify down the playbook, get something going. I'm not really expecting to see a massive improvement from the offense, but I'm hoping that if they just cut out some mistakes, they'll be all right. This is a Cincinnati team that have been looking an awful lot hotter under Browning. Uh, really kind of surprise package. We're staying relevant. And then the wheel started to come off a little bit. We started to see last week that his big play attempts and his, uh, his his kind of exciting stuff finally started to like result in turnovers and, and interceptions and stuff. And we'll see if that can continue. They haven't really the last two or three weeks got the run game going as much with Mixon and Brown. So we'll have to see if they can get that back going. My hope in this one is basically the Chiefs are at home. Their defense should be able to hold up well. Like in all their losses, the defense has held up fairly well. It's been the offense that's been making mistakes. So if the Chiefs just go back to basics, don't make a load of mistakes on offense. This is like, even though they played well, at the heart of it, this is a backup quarterback playing for Cincinnati who has been making mistakes, put up, what, 11 points last week, was it? Uh, something like that. Yeah, 11 points against Pittsburgh, who are a very good defense as well, but the Chiefs defense have been playing very well. So rely on your defense. Don't make too many mistakes. Just get the job done and then essentially treat week 17 as a bye week to try and install a simplified playbook for getting into the playoffs. Because, yeah, like the Chiefs need a bit of a reboot. I'm hoping that last week, because it was a complete and utter fucking mess, will be the hard reboot on the offense. The defense should be good enough to hold up here. If they can just hold serve on defense and not mess up too much on offense, uh, a narrow win in a, like, I don't know, 24-18, something like that. It's, a, it's an interesting one because obviously both these teams are very far from where they were. You know, even if we consider this was the AFC Championship game last year. Um, but the big challenge, I guess, for the Bengals is is the offense. Is Browning seemed to have a way of, of you know, making the, the, the system work or slot into the system, albeit not at Joe Burrow levels. But he seems to have, they seem to have lost that in the last two weeks, whether that's because teams have tape on him now or whether they, you know, there's, there's just, they're not finding solutions that they used to. And against this Kansas City defense, that's going to be a, a very tough place uh, to be. So I can certainly see the struggles because, you know, on the other side, you, st- you do still have Mahomes and he's, they do still are able to find some points. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting kind of a coaching battle because I think a lot of it will come down to what kind of solutions uh, and, and plays and stuff that Andy Reid and his boys 
get up with on the other side versus what Zach Taylor and his team they have been very good at, at you know are causing problems for for opponents uh, and they certainly will have some sort of playbook uh, on Mahomes. So I think it's going to be interesting in terms of the the back and forth and I think it would be a tight game. Um, but I just think Kansas City are in such a bad place right now that you know I I expect the Bengals may get a couple of turnovers, uh, maybe a pick six or something, uh, and win it that way. Um, but certainly. They will need some points from, from Browning and the offense, and that could be where the challenge is for the Bengals, but it should be a close one. Well, like scoring points isn't the problem for Cincinnati, assuming they can keep the ball. The problem last week was that Browning's hero ball finally caught up to him, and Kansas City's defense, I think, is good enough to probably exploit that, get a couple of turnovers, and, and get the job done. But, you know, I think if Kansas City can't make those opportunistic plays, then... Cincinnati will move the ball, they will score some points, so then the pressure is on Mahomes and co. to get it done against a defense which is, you know, I would say middling uh, at the moment, I think particularly losing DJ Reader. This is a game where Kansas City ideally would love to run the ball, but obviously with Pacheco possibly out, you know, I don't know if CEH is going to be good enough to get that done, but it's a game I think where they certainly go shouldn't get away from the run, as you say, simplify things in terms of the pass concepts, and yeah, I think they're a better team overall. They should get it done, but uh, I wouldn't discount Cincinnati if they can avoid their big turnovers this year, this week. Yeah, next up is P- Ronan's pick of the week, Pittsburgh at Seattle. Uh, I've gone for Seattle. Uh, you guys have gone for Pittsburgh. Ronan, tell us about this, you filthy turncoat. It's not a turncoat. I'm just, you know, balancing out utility curves and whatever like that. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, look, obviously a vital cross-conference uh, wildcard battle. Pittsburgh on the outside looking in, but the, that's based on tiebreakers, I believe. Seattle just about in the playoffs, uh, I believe. Uh, they're one win ahead of a whole bunch of teams. So obviously whoever loses this game will take a big hit to their playoff chances. Pittsburgh basically will be out if they lose. And so it comes down to what do you think of these two teams? And it's kind of hard because both teams have kind of been very wibbly-wobbly in recent times, often in relation to their quarterback position. So let's start with Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh, they put in Mason Rudolph last week, and maybe it's just Christmas magic. Maybe it's if you know he's got so much experience in the system at this point. Um, but the offense was functional. Like that's much more that can be said than during the Mitch Titties era. Um, obviously, you know, the big thing that they got was like those big plays down the boundary to George Pickens. Um, you know, how replicable is that on a week-to-week basis? They go up against a, a cornerback pairing in Seattle, which I wouldn't consider to be elite, but which I'd say would, isn't the worst in the league either, uh, with guys like um, Tariq Woolen and Michael Jackson uh, and uh, Witherspoon if he's back in this game. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they get those kind of, I don't want to say free, but those kind of, you know, those plays that you can't rely on effectively. And, you know, I think the big thing for Pittsburgh is probably is they want to run the ball. The Seattle run defense has been vulnerable for a while now. And I think this is probably a game where they might prefer to actually really rely more on Warren uh, and uh, Harris to kind of get it done, grind this game down and kind of almost do what Tennessee managed to do last week and just, you know, make this, a, you know, an arm wrestle, the kind of classic Pittsburgh football um, so, you know, that's what they're going to do. But the, the thing that they won't have, I think, this week, or less likely to have, is kind of those free uh, short fields that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were giving them last week. Cause I think Gino came back in solid. You know, he is capable of doing interceptions. Obviously, I think if you have playmakers at the kind of particularly safety or secondary position, you can exploit them. But I think Pittsburgh are probably still going to be missing Minka Fitzpatrick. And outside of that, their secondary, I would say, is pretty middling and not really a playmaking secondary overall. They've obviously got a great uh, pair of pass rushers. So I think Gino will be under a lot of pressure. But that's basically been through the entire season. And Gino, I think the one thing that has 
has been good from him uh, is his ability to avoid sacks, his ability to uh, kind of continue to get the ball out quickly in those kind of circumstances. So I don't think that would be as huge a factor. So for me, it's more, I think, you know, it'll be close enough. I think those two teams are fairly evenly matched, but Pittsburgh, I think they're going to run the ball hard, maybe get a couple of play action, big plays with Rudolph there being better, at, uh, more accurate than Mitch Titties and, and get it done. But, you know, in Seattle, it's going to be a tough game. And uh, for for Seattle, like, you know, I think it's a fifty-fifty game overall. Incredibly vital to both teams, but uh, you know, just to, so I look at least I get gain. Well, I gain a pick over Connor, less valuable, but uh, I gain a pick over you, Connor. If they lose, at least that's something. Uh, <laughs> the worst happens. It's good to see that's uh, in a game that's so important for your team's uh, playoff hopes. That, you see, I don't believe that I have any impact using. on the outcome, so you know it is what it is. Oh, is that so? Then maybe, uh, maybe I should lock up the Seattle Seahawks here. And, uh... <laughs> but no, um, look, I just think, yeah, Pittsburgh, the offense, they got a jump there. But like, this offense has has had that twice. Like after they fired Canada, they got a bump that time. They've swapped to Rudolph. They got a bump. Like Christmas is over. Put Rudolph out to pasture. Like he's not a good starting quarterback. Full stop. He took some shots. Seattle should be able to you know, come down with a few of those jump balls that he was just throwing up for, 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 for hopes and shits and giggles last week. Um, Seattle have a good offense. They've gone toe-to-toe with much better teams than this, better defenses than this. Um, I think they know the scale of it. They're at home. Um, yeah, I just think, I, I think Seattle should be able to do this fairly handily. Uh, yeah, my, my vote yes, is based does. on the fact that the Steelers are 8-7 and seven and they need one more win to... To get to nine and eight, and they're facing the Ravens next week, so they're probably more likely to be to see ah, beat the Ravens. But if the Ravens win this week, they'll have nothing to yes. play for next I week. I did, so. I did consider that. That's that's the X factor. Is that if the Ravens win, then yeah. they might. And we're and we're picking the, the Ravens to win, so that's why that plays out that way. So Connor's still confident in his pick. Mm. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, like I think both these teams I, are kind I, of hard yeah, to analyze because they're a bit up and I don't down. Think like Tom will take the risk of having to beat the Ravens next week. Sure. I like. I don't. I don't think he goes out expressly intending to only win nine games. It's like, I, I'm he, sorry. There's no way a record like this persists without Tomlin making it his number one job every year. Mm. A decade ago, he said, I, I, "I." He had a genie wishing, like, "We want to play winning football," and it's like a Faustian. You know, it's like <laughs> monkey claw. The monkey claw curls. It's like you will have winning football forever, but it will be nine and eight forever. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of rumors doing the rounds about him possibly moving on from the Steelers after this year. So it'll be interesting. It'll be. Uh, it'll be interesting if like. He fails his 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 500 test and then they instantly fire him. That would be kind of like, would be pretty funny. Uh, next up, Chargers at Denver. We've gone for Denver across the board. Uh, Chargers were a little bit more lively last week, but you know, still not doing anything phenomenal. Denver, oh god, they looked bad last week. Um, like it was, was if I remember correctly, didn't they have a they had a a run of five. Uh, five series where they got like a combined 13 yards or something like that last week they couldn't turn turnovers into points they were just i i think we might be looking at like so the chargers were we've got the change of 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 coaching we don't know who the new coach is going to be but like whatever they're kind of they know they're they're turning a corner i think this denver ride is slowing down rapidly and what we might be seeing is the stop that russell wilson is getting off on um I think he needs to come in here and play some big games for the last two weeks if he wants to make sure he's the starter in this team next year. And I think even if he does that, they'll be drafting someone to be his replacement. I don't think uh, don't think he's the long-term answer there anymore. But 
a big game here would help him out. Uh, this Chargers team just isn't really going anywhere. So Despite appearances, we have all picked Denver, but that's because picking the Chargers always feels scary. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's never a safe one. And then finally, Sunday night football, Green Bay at Minnesota, NFC wildcard game here. So this is going to be an interesting one. Green Bay have been a bit blah of late. Um, we've seen decent bits of performances, but like... Overall, not quite. When they came out of the bye week, they looked like they kind of turned a corner and then they've regressed again. Minnesota have a similar kind of problem where they're in the hunt, but are they really? Their defense is a bit, you know, we do one thing, but sometimes it works. And this is a Green Bay team that might be quite susceptible to that type of blitz-heavy stuff with Love not really being the most dynamic of, 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 of men under center. But Minnesota also have, you know, <laughs> who's going to start it at, uh, at quarterback? Will it be our turnover machine from last year or from last week, our turnover machine from three weeks ago, or maybe something behind the mystery door? Um, they have weapons, but they have injuries. I don't really care about this game. It feels like whoever wins this is going to go out in the, in the wild card round anyway. Um, well, the, the, they need the Seahawks or Rams to lose anyway to keep relevant. But yeah. yeah, basically, whoever loses this game will be properly removed and then the other team will be needing other results to go their way to have a, a reasonable chance, probably like a 20-30% yeah. chance. But yeah, like it's very hard to pick either of these teams because both of them have been very unreliable recently, let's say. Uh, Green Bay, as you say, had a little vein of form there. We thought maybe they turned the corner and they, they looked like they might even compete with uh, Detroit for the division. And then recently they've been just very bad. And particularly the Joe Barry defense has kind of come roaring back to being the shit show that we uh, all complain about during the off season. And obviously Minnesota's offense is uh, unreliable, uh, as I said, uh, and obviously very prone to turning the ball over, whether it be Dobbs, Mullen, or you know the rookie Hall potentially. Uh, we have no idea at the moment, um, but um, they have been able to get production, right? Like Justin Jefferson has come back and looked like Justin Jefferson. So that alone against the fairly questionable defense will probably get you at least 100 yards, potentially up to 150 yards. Um, they might be missing Addison, but they have KJ Osborne there. Missing Hawkinson probably definitely doesn't help, but I think even at the running back position, Ty Chandler has definitely been better than Alexander Madison. So I expect Minnesota to be able to get production. It's just if they can do that without turning the ball over a billion times. And as for Green Bay, you know, they nearly just lost to Carolina. Carolina, like they just allowed Carolina like 300, 400 kind of yards. Um, so, yeah, lots of yards. This could be a fun, dumb game, to be honest. Um, uh, and so I think I, I kind of just got to edge Minnesota here. They're at home and they just need to not give away the ball to a terrible defense and they can get it done. Green Bay, Love has played well-ish recently. Um, he's not been the problem per se. They can run the ball with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon to a lesser extent. They have all those young receivers, but yeah, I don't I know. I just hate this Green Bay defense. I'm, I'm willing to give Minnesota the, the edge here, but it's pretty much a 50-50 ball between two incredibly weird teams right now. Yeah, I just don't trust the Vikings offense to, to be able to do enough, really. I think there's more reliability on, on the Green Bay side, albeit their defense isn't in a, in a great spot. But this Vikings offense is such a mess right now, I just can't trust them to win a game, so I have to go for the Packers. Yeah. Very good, lads. That'll wraps up for this week. Any plans for the for the next bit? We still we're still kind of dancing around this Christmas ether where no one's really anywhere uh, until early Jan. Uh, I'll be I'll be back in Dublin, I think, this time next week for recording. So that'll be a bit more back to the normal. What about yourselves? You're you're going to be in Athlone, Sean, is it? Yeah. So I've done it all until New Year's Eve, most likely, and then down to Athlone for first week of January. Uh, so yeah. 
It's. I mean, the thing about Christmas, though, even it doesn't matter where you are, it's still the same kind of thing. You kind of just sit around and watch movies and eat loads of food. <laughs> uh, it's. It's. Yeah, it's pretty universal the Christmas experience. I think. Love it yourself, the... Roland. When are you? When are you back? <laughs> There's Sean's Eurocentrism coming out. Uh... <laughs> No, like, yeah, I'm having, probably being cabin at least for the rest of this week. It'll probably be, you know, uh, it'll be around this time next week. I'll probably be uh, heading back to uh, Cork, so it'll just depend where we choose to record effectively, uh, whether I'll be back in Cork or still in cabin. Uh, very good, week, very good. The lens uh, just enjoy the, the festive, the festive uh, well, festivities, it. as were. Yeah, I'm sure if you if you if you want to stop off on route, give us a shout. Sure, we'll be we'll be tipping around in Dublin anyway. But no, that sounds that sounds good. Uh, nice nice little games. Thankfully, after this week, I can't believe it's this late in the season that after this week we can finally properly relegate some of these games to irrelevant. Like, good God, too much. There's too much parity the NFL this year. That's my problem. I think we need to make it more one-sided. Yeah, well, look at your lads letting down the, the you know, at least we used to be able to rely on the Chiefs and we can't even do that anymore. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, that's that's what's making me the most sad about that situation, of course. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, sure, look, that'll wrap us up for now. So it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. Bye.